The Shining is 88, which, I mean, what what do you think is Kubrick's best film? Because, oh. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think it's The Shining. No, I, I don't either, but I think Kubrick is one of the only filmmakers on this list who have multiple pictures. Kubrick has, and I apologize to He the better have something above this, like Dr. Strangelove. I don't think Strangelove made it. Fuck. I think Barry Lyndon did, which makes you happy. Dad, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Super 70 Podcast. Special report on sight and sound. Dictionary.org defines bullshit as, one, feces produced by a bull, two, statements that are false or exaggerated to impress or cheat the listener, three, statements that are transparently or offensively false, four, statements that are intentionally misleading whether true or not, five, statements made without regard for their truth or value, six, a synonym of shit in sense of any stuff when viewed negatively or with vulgarity. Seven, the Sight and Sound 100 of the year 2022. For example, did you see Sight and Sound magazine's list of the 100 best films of all time? It was real bullshit. Dave Anderson and I sat down with me after Fury Road and we discussed the future, fascism, and femininity. Then we went through the Sight and Sound 100 list to sort out what was interesting, what was surprising, and what was a tall, stinking pile of Gene Dealman. The first thing that I want to get into before we get into like heavy sight and sound stuff, we have two topics. The first one is who killed the world? Oh, that was definitely not me. Okay. And who killed the world? Um, I know that we're reaching here. This is when you say who killed the world, you're talking about in the movie, right? Yeah, but is is Fury Road like a warning? Oh, I'm sure some people read it as such. Yeah, and. Are war boys, for lack of a better example, mm-hmm. Oath Keepers? And is Immortan Joe... Sure, I mean, it could be Oath Keepers. It could be, you know, those that engage in jihads. I mean, you could... That's it, good it's comparison. Kind of, it's, yeah, blind yeah. loyalty, right? Yeah. And that's one of those things where The Ayatollah, yeah, there's, Donald there's a, Trump. There's a different... Yeah, I mean, there's a zillion... If different, you choose to look yeah, at no, it. No, no, no. It's yeah. just there's a... The, there's a zillion different groups, whether it be any of those in particular, or just humans in general, who will happily follow orders because they want somebody to direct them because their life has got no direction, hmm. right? So is it them? Is it – it could be anything. You know, I think that the point of that statement is probably purposefully vague, um, cause you could read it if you're going to look at it from a really radical feminist perspective as, oh, it is men that killed the world 
Or is it men like these? Or is it people like you? You know, there's a lot of different ways to read it. And the fact of the matter is, it's unclear when Fury Road's Fury Road occurs post-cataclysmic event, right? I don't know if it's four years or 20 years. Hmm. Certainly not that, right? It's more likely somewhere between four and 12, I would think, right? Which means that the odds of one of the wives actually recalling precisely what was happening is probably close to nil. Right. Right, but it is one of those things where she is stating it as, well, of course, I, I was about to say close to nil, but you know, I noted in the commentary, they seem to be remarkably well-educated, so they had access to some sort of books and records. Well, they have access to a lot. They have access mm. to water, a hydroponic garden. Mm. They have access to an environment which makes sure that they don't have lumps. Right. Now, I'm just referencing yeah. way to gather information. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. And to me... Actually, that makes no sense. No, it makes sense to me. Really? Yeah. If you're Morton Joe, would you give these women any access to education at all? No, that you're right. Yeah, that would... Yeah, I get that. What, what I found profound, and I mean, it's a little bit different with me because you can see this coming a mile away because of my my whole take on history. Mm-hmm. But, the you know, Morton Joe has a, a ton of iconography and uh, it, he has a ton of rituals and he has a reason he has a cause he has a scheme he has a regime he has a everything that he has he has, he has thought out mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what it is whether it's the water whether it's the wives whether it's the cave or the citadel he has a structure in place and everything has a symbol every symbol has a meaning every meaning has a purpose etc cetera, etc cetera. and that is exactly to a t the image of fascism which you knew that eventually I was going to bring up because you know how the way that I think. But, yes. you know, there you are looking for that under every nook and cranny. I, I am and I don't find it everywhere, but I find it in Fury Road. You know, when <clears throat> and I'm not just dis- I'm not disputing that. Yeah. Reading. But just like give an example, you know, uh, when Hitler would have a party rally, he would bring this very specific flag, this flag that was at the, the Beer Hall Pooch in 1923. It was a flag that some of the some of the Nazis who were shot by the the police that night had died and bled on, like literally, like some of their blood got on this flag. So it was known as the Blutflag, and he would take that flag. Hitler would take that flag to the party rallies mm-hmm. in the twenties and thirties, and even when he was he was chancellor, and even when he was dictator, the Führer, and he would hold that flag, and he would go regiment by regiment in the SS or the SA, and he would hold their flag. And he would touch the blute flag and hold it in one hand, and then he would salute and he would shake the hand of the officer in charge of that regiment, and then he would repeat the process and go on and go on. So it was like the the blood of the sacrifice of the martyrs would be transferred mm-hmm. to the standard of uh, the standard being in, in a military sense a flag, or in a Roman sense the eagle, and so that everyone had this shared experience. And I see that a lot in Fury Road. I see the the iconography has a system, okay, and the the system may be kind of uh, uh, hidden to us, but it's transparent to them. Right? No, it's it's obvious. It's well thought out. Yeah, yeah and I, I get that reading. And I'm not going to disagree with probably any of these, you know, readings. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice of you because you know I'm right. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think that it's definitely <laughs> one of those things where you're. You've certainly put some thought into it and some observations that have got merit. And you may be right. Well, and I think I think that 
I don't know if that's necessarily the objective of George Miller when making this. I was just about to get into that. Right. Right. That seems very far from Miller's mind just because he's more interested in telling a story. Right. I would would imagine that it makes sense that he would hear a conversation like that and adopt that for the design purposes, but it wasn't the thrust or function of it to say, okay, this is a warning to you, the viewer, of fascism encroaching on the wasteland. It's one of those where it's like, okay, structure makes sense. You know, in a situation like that, structure would be needed. Mm-hmm. And fascism, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> but it is one of those things where you're, if you're in, in a uh, situation such as that, you could see where it may be the only way to make society work. Mm-hmm. Right? You couldn't have a democracy or even a democratic republic in, in those the Citadel. specific in – in this environment. It seems highly unlikely. Yes, likely, because everybody is going to do what humans want to do, which is take care of themselves. And unfortunately, in a situation such as that, the resources are truly. <laughs> no, I see that. I mean, I don't. I don't think that that's something that Miller just sits down in. and. We talked about this before twenty years ago with uh, Starship Troopers about mm-hmm. how much was this like innately Verhoeven's purpose and bringing up like the fascism he experienced as a child. And then how much of it was, well, he was just telling a story and he just sort of, (laughs) and boy, these these uniforms are cool. Yeah. He just put those things in, in, in the way. Um, I think that's perfectly valid. My second. Okay. So what's the point? The point of Fury Road. I, I... no, 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 not not the point of the movie, but your observation. Well, my my observation is is that he just wanted to tell a story, and those readings came out as he was filming, and that makes sense. he even admitted, like, we're going to emphasize a lot of points as we go along as they appear to themselves. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's what he was going for. I think everything retroactively that we put into it is, is just uh, – our modern day observations and how they fit. Well, no, I think that's uh, probably true with almost any movie and art, right? And that's one of the nice things about it is that it's up to the viewer to interpret and how he or she, she sees fit, right? So I, I do think it's one of those things where that's one of the things, one of the uh, characteristics of that movie that really works is it's not beating you over the head with a, quote, message, end of quote, because message movies I inherently reject, and I'm probably not unique in that regard, and allowing the viewer to interpret it as they see fit is real appropriate. Well, we talked about that before, and I don't remember what episode it was, but how we just did not like message movies. No, I don't think anybody really does. I mean, somebody said, you know, I've got a – I saw this great movie the other day. It's a post – apocalyptic vision and it's filled with like these people who represent like MAGA heads and then they're mm-hmm. they're fast I would be completely uninterested yeah I'd be like oh, I don't want to like, see that at all don't why why would you want right. to even if you were some bedwetting liberal why would you want to get in line to see something like that well we do like our echo chambers when we get involved in them but it, you are automatically narrowing your audience regardless horribly yeah horribly so, you know it's a lot of reason why um, you know, Michael Moore in his heyday mm-hmm. was just alienating a lot of people. Oh, gotcha. You know, or a lot of people who are, uh, uh, just to choose an example, are anti-Trump don't watch CNN because they get enough anti-Trump type of 
uh, like you were saying, an echo chamber, right. right? They get tired of it. And I don't think that's why people want to go see movies. People want to go see movies because they want to be entertained. Right. If there's a message that comes along with it, I think that that message is going to be uh, better conveyed with a better story. I mean, I think that that is – it seems really rote and stupid, frankly. But, yeah, that's the primary function of the movies is to entertain, right? And even if it's something like Schindler's List, which – You'd be hard-pressed to say that's an entertaining movie from a conventional definition. But it works because it is compelling and, to a lot of it, entertaining. Because mm-hmm. I, my recollection of that movie isn't so much that – I don't know what percentage – you couldn't break it down by minute – is absolute tragedy and wrenching. But there's a high percentage of it, which is actually very entertaining. Yeah, I think it's about 80-20. I saw it on the re-release. My son and I went to go mm-hmm. see it on the big screen. It was his first time. And I think I've seen that film like 15, 20 times. Really? Yeah. And, I mean, I think that only Spielberg could pull that off. The other one... Yeah, he probably actually is. Uh, the only... I mean, who wants to rewatch something on the Holocaust, you know? Apparently you, 15 There's, to 20 well, times. Yeah, but I'm, I'm a strange bird because I'm... I center on, you know, 20th right, century I mean, you, German you history. You could watch Schindler's but... List 15 or 20 times, but how many times would you watch Shoah? I've seen Shoah twice. Okay. Uh, I saw it when it was first issued on DVD. Now, obviously, and the length is going to play into it, well, but yeah, still. That's, God, what is it, like four hours? Oh, six I thought it was hours. longer than that. I mean, it's... I have it. Dude. I think it's like eight or nine. Yeah, that, that sounds familiar. Yeah. But part of it, part of Shoah is also, and we have to be careful when you get into, like, Holocaust porn is what people call it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and certainly there there's a bad element, but there are certain elements of Shoah. So the interview and the way that uh, Claude Landsman conveys Shoah in some of his interviews is is really, really, really good mm-hmm. from like a narrative storytelling. Uh, like for instance, there's this guy who is a survivor. I cannot remember his name. If he escapes me, his job was to cut the hair of the women before they went into the gas chamber. He was a barber before the war. He was a Jew. And that was his job was to, to cut their hair, knowing that they were going to go in and get gassed. Well, you know, a truckload comes in or a train load rather comes in. And I don't remember if this was Auschwitz or Sobobor or Mauthausen or wherever it was. Uh, but you know, his, his wife and daughter came in. And so he had to cut their hair and not tell them, that mm-hmm. they were going to, about to be gassed. You should see this guy I don't tell this story to Landsman. And Landsman put him in a barber shop in uh, Tel Aviv. This guy wasn't a barber anymore. He was sure. retired or something. But he's trying to tell the story. He's trying to cut this guy's hair. He's walking around. He's finding it very difficult to... And it's just his reaction and the way that he chooses his words... And the way that Landsman is is egging him on by saying, you must tell. Mm-hmm. You have to tell. If you don't tell, then nobody will know. A friend of me worked as a barber. He was also a good barber in my hometown. When his wife and his sister to the guest chamber,
verse 2. Please. We have to do it. You know it. have to do it. I know. I know and I apologize. So even though this is the most, the second most painful thing you've gone through, it's your duty to tell. You have to tell. And eventually he tells how he lost his wife and daughter. It's absolutely gut-wrenching. But it is quite possibly one of the most interesting parts of Shoah. Sure. And does it make me want to just take it off the shelf and watch it right now? No. But I, I bought Shoah on Criterion because I know. I know I'm going to watch it probably not just again. But three or four times before I die. Right, but is is also that's a documentary. Yes. Right. Yeah. So there is obviously a um, a different expectation from a narrative film than a documentary. But there's not a whole lot of films, even on the BFI 100, of which you or may I may have our quibbles with, that don't have edu- you know entertainment as the primary objective. Right. Right. Fury Road, I think, entertainment is the primary objective. <clears throat> and yeah. that's its power. Now, moving on to something what we t- started talking about just before we hit record, which was you sent me a link to the Vinegar Syndrome. Well, I sent you two, right? I sent you one for the Vinegar Syndrome and one for um, um, Indicator. And we were talking about how in the dying days of media, where I went to physical best- media. Physical media. I went to Best Buy today to mm-hmm. get like a USB cord. And in the back corner on the right-hand side on just two or three shelves were these things called DVDs. I never heard of them. I had to blow the dust off of them. See, I'm pretty lucky. The yeah, Best Buys by me actually have a, relatively to that, robust stock. It used to be like one quarter of the store. No, absolutely. And it was always a loss leader in those days. Yeah. Yeah. To get people in the store. But it is one of those where it's it's damned unfortunate because physical media is going to be critically important in my opinion mm-hmm. because I'm living the streaming existence like everybody else, but stuff disappears. Mm-hmm. And some people, like our buddies at the mouse, you know, they will pull stuff and God knows if you'll ever see it again. Exactly. exactly. So if you have a physical copy, it's tough to imagine them coming and taking it from you. And we talked about this before, about my fear about Gone with the Wind. Yeah, it's very... It, it's conceivable where you'd see a future where it's Not gone. Yeah. 
and on the on HBO Max. I mean, it's guy. not easy to find Birth of a Nation. Right. You can. And it is on physical. And I've thought about getting it on physical just because, okay, this is a piece of important film history. I don't know if I'll watch it more than maybe once or twice just to kind of look at it and say, oh, okay. But, I mean, it's not as good as Intolerance. I think most people at this point probably agree with that. But it is important. But the thing that's really nice with the physical media now is it reminds me a lot of the waning days of VHS and kind of the carving out of the niche of laser discs, where you were getting a lot of films that were getting the deluxe treatments because the only people who were buying it anymore were collectors. That lasted about five minutes before DVD entered the market and really exploded it, which is part of the reason I think the 90s are the best decade in cinema, but we'll get to that one eventually. I think that's the next special edition. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but... Sorry, we're... But that's that's okay. Uh, we can digress before we dive in and get pissed off about French directors. I don't but know if we're going to get pissed off about French directors. We, um, I went on to Arrow last year and bought, mm-hmm. you know, like $100 worth of shit on one of their sales. And Kino had one about six months ago, and I, I dropped like a hun- another $100. And yeah, and Criterion's got theirs every... Criterion's has theirs. And then I, I grabbed... Um, you know, Kino had one... Six dollar Blu-ray, The Quest. Okay, I don't know if you've seen this. I do not know it. Um, the kid from ET is in it. Elliot Henry Thomas. Three, two, one, go! You loved him in ET. Now Henry Thomas is back as Cody Walpole. There's no brakes. He made it. There's no brakes. Cody is an adventurer about to discover the secret of frog dreaming. Gaza, what do you know about a pond five miles east of Devil's Knob? I want you to promise me you'll stay away from that pond. Do you believe in monsters? Some for 20 years. I was married to one. First he danced with the devil. Then you find out about Donkey. Cody, just hang on. This is going too far. That thing could be a thousand feet deep if there's a bottom at all. I reckon I got about three minutes worth of air down there. Thomas from E.T. is Cody Walpole, whose search for adventure takes you to the depths of a legend, the legend of frog dreaming. Yeah, and it was shot in Australia on, on a It all circles back to Australia. Yeah, all ties back to Australia. And on a shoestring budget about this kid who thought there was a monster in this lake. Mm-hmm. And this does sound vaguely familiar. Maybe I have seen it. And turns out the lake spoilers. Turns out the the monster in the lake is like a like an old mining crane that fills with uh, air from some some pipeline that's not used anymore. Mm-hmm. And then the crane comes up over out of the water and just looks like a monster. Yes. Yeah. And I remember seeing that when I was a kid and thinking it was like gold. I would never watch it again. I hadn't seen it in forty years. But Kino had it for six dollars. So you said, "Well, maybe." Oh, I got it. <laughs> and well, think—I mean, if you go to the movies, it's like twelve bucks. 
No. So to on own a, a Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. So to own a Blu-ray of the Quest, $6 oh, to me. Yeah. It's, 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 no, I mean, buying a blind buy makes a lot of sense nowadays from an economic perspective. I can spend 20 bucks on this movie. I've never seen it before, or I can spend forty dollars to go see it in the theater with my eighteen dollar ticket and my popcorn and my drink. So it's kind of a no brainer to really engage in it, just from an economic perspective. If movies are your thing, yeah. I also got DC Cab. DC Cab. They've got plans. Where to, baby? Nowhere with you. And they care. Two charge, Mister and Mrs. Tomato. $195? They had a lot of luggage. Two. <laughs> we were coming to town, and we know it. Get out of my cab, I'm rich. You don't have to shut us this down. This company is closed, pending further investigation. Make an investment in DC Cab. If I wanted responsibility, I'd have been a damn sex surrogate. Fasten your seatbelt. Because they're back on the street. DC Cab. Okay, I, I'm going to sit here and stare at you for a bit. I've never seen DC Cab. You haven't? Well, I have not. I know what you're taking with you tonight when you go home. It better be DC Cab as opposed to syphilis or something, so okay. <laughs> I pity the fool who makes me watch that. No, but I, I've not, I'm not seeing it, so I know of it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to go on to Vinegar Syndrome. You know, the other thing, I don't know if it's Kino or another one of the like Shout Factory, maybe? Mm-hmm. But they, they had one of uh, the fan. Dear Miss Bronx, I have finally worked up enough courage to write you. I am your greatest fan. Because unlike the others, I want nothing from you. The only thing that matters to me is your happiness. I am a friend. And I am someone you can turn to in times of distress. But I know the time is now right. We will be lovers very soon, my darling. And believe me, I have all the necessary equipment to make you very, very happy. You got a really raunchy letter from that weird old fan I tried to tell you about. I think she's taking advantage of you. Sally, he's driving me crazy. I recommend you fire. I recommend you fire. What in God's name did you say to him in your letter? I don't pay you to upset my fans. You don't even know your fans. I'm the one that has to put up with him. He's the one that's gone too far. He wants to be your lover, for Christ's sake. What was I supposed to do, give him an appointment? I want to touch you. I want to make love to you. Just ignore him from now on. He's harmless. Miss Goldman? My darling, it was over very quickly, and I feel glad because I never wanted her to suffer. Dealing with a psychotic, potential killer. Am I safe, Inspector? Who knows? He's after me now, isn't he? I know I've seen that one. I've seen that for sale. Yeah. That sounds like more like a vinegar. But, I mean, I think we are entering a new heyday of this boutique label. We're Indicator by Powerhouse out of uh, the UK. 
Um, Imprint out of Australia again. I don't know if you've seen anything about their stuff, but they re they're releasing some just tremendous gems. And obviously, there's Kino, which I think is pretty underrated and underappreciated by the general audience. Obviously, those people who collect such things really like them. And Arrow is Arrow's pretty hit and miss, but they really embrace the genre stuff and the stuff that they embrace. I really do like. And there's Criterion, which we won't even need to talk about because that's the standard. That's, everybody talks about Criterion. Right. <clears throat> um, I remember texting you saying I just spent a shitload of money on Arrow. And you were like, oh, what'd you get? I said, I got Jake Speed. And you were like, what? Yeah. When no one can stop the terror. When everyone looks the other way. You need a hero. You need Jake Speed. Can you handle an adventure? I've never had one before. A paperback hero. Sometimes you do things the hard way. Why? Reads better. A living legend. Sounds nice, huh? In a lawless land, he's part man. Bates the hell out of ten divisions. Part myth. <laughs> And a gentleman to the end. Are you sure you're trying your best? <laughs> is he real? <laughs> or is he fiction? You're a boy scout. Refreshing, isn't it? Jake Speed is both. Don't be a sore loser. Jake Speed. And what else did you get? And I said, I got Remo Williams. The adventure begins. And you replied, you dot dot dot. Paid money, dot, dot, <laughs> dot, for Remo Williams. Well, okay, so it's a pretty terrible movie, but... America's top security experts have chosen this man. Don't take any chances, this guy's a killer. For a special mission. But first, he's got to pass one little test. Speak English. Does your nightingale sing? Hold it! He moved like a baboon with two crumped feet. However, I think I can do something with him. Goodbye, Mr. Crow! Who's he? No more Boy Scouts. Take a look at this. High altitude reconnaissance probe. Yes, we make that. There is none. Doesn't exist. These men will rob America of her might. They won't be with us for much longer. Unless someone... Relax. ...can stop them. Concentrate! This is no time for prayer! Remo Williams. The adventure begins. What are you watching? Your country's one contribution to the art. It's a soap opera. <laughs> It is apparent to me that you know less than nothing. Place your hands behind your head. <coughs> I did not say keep them there. Before he's through, he'll learn to move faster than a bullet. Excellent. Not bad, huh? Hear the heartbeat of an enemy. Try not to borrow him for a while. And leave no footprints in the sand. <laughs> Some joker walks into one of my plants, snoops around, walks right out again, and now you're telling me he doesn't exist. 
first time the man has found his head blown off. Perfect accident. And you're telling me he's going to get away with it, huh? And we can't stop him? You can stop him, son. It'll be my pleasure. Based on the Destroyer novel series that sold over 30 million copies, America's favorite tough guy comes to the screen in a movie big enough to hold him. Remo Williams. The adventure begins. That doesn't mean it's not worth spending a couple bucks on. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to enjoy it. And I know because I haven't seen DC Cab in 40 years, and I fucking loved he that. Loved it. I loved it. Adam Baldwin <laughs> is gold in that movie. And how can you say no to Mr. T? Oh, yeah, I don't. I don't believe that you're allowed to. No, I think the the niche DVDs. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people complain about Criterion being high from a cost from a, perspective, a dollar standpoint. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you know, I get it. And. It's just like anything else, if you don't want to pay that much, don't. then don't. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty straightforward. Yeah. Correct. Or, I mean, if you really want to spend wisely, then, you know, you just buy a subscription to the collection on, you know, the streaming service. And the Criterion Channel. Yeah. Recognize that stuff will be gone, mm-hmm. but just enjoy it every month. But Criterion, I mean, it's cheap now. Yeah. I was buying Laserdiscs. Oh, my I God. I don't want to talk about how much money I spent on those back when... That type of money was a lot of money. I remember the uh, Criterion had Goldfinger on Laserdisc. Yep. It was like a hundred and fifty dollars. No, it was a hundred bucks. It was a hundred. Dual discs were always about ninety nine. Do mm-hmm. two CAVs and the uh, single CLV were forty nine ninety nine or whatever. But I mean, a hundred bucks back in nineteen ninety two. You know, you're talking about one hundred and fifty now. I'm sure one hundred and twenty five. But, but the strange thing was like, it, like I wasn't against the price, right? I didn't think it was overpriced. You're just like, I just can't afford it. I just it. can't afford it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a Corvette. So, that's pretty good. I just looked over my shelf in here. I just pulled out a couple that I got off of sites such as those. Mm-hmm. Midnight Run. I love to travel by train. Oh, yeah? What do you think this is? A class trip? A tough ex-cop. Are you always this angry? A sensitive criminal. Oh, no, no. Come on. Come on. Cigarettes are killers. Why are we running away from the FBI? Because I got to bring it back myself. Otherwise, I won't get my money. They can't fly. They also suffer from acrophobia and claustrophobia. I'll tell you what. If you don't cooperate, you're going to suffer from fistophobia. They're seeing America the hard way. Why would you eat that? There's a taste good. At gunpoint. What did you do before you did this? What did qualify you for this? He's gaining. No, get it. He's flying. Of course he's gaining. Robert De Niro. It is truly in your best interest to just relax. I'm totally relaxed. Charles Grodin. $2, that's all you're going to leave? That's 15%. That's 13%. These people depend on tips for a living. From the director of Beverly Hills Cop, Midnight Six. Run. Midnight Run, really, that's that's something I may want to borrow from you. This is this is a brilliant film. What's that? Midnight Run. Well, Midnight Run, I've only seen once. And I saw it in the theater. And I hated that movie. 
What? Yeah, exactly. And I almost fell asleep in it like three times. What? And I was in high school, and I'm pretty sure that it was in the middle of football season. Not that I was any good at football, but I was on the team. So I think I was just literally physically exhausted because I'm about the only person that I know who has that opinion of that specific film. So I know I'm wrong. But I went to go see it, and I was like about to fall asleep. I fucking hated it. I wanted it to end so badly. And I think primarily because I wanted to go to sleep. So I'm very interested in seeing it again. And it's just one of those I just haven't. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you need to see that. You're going home with that tonight. For sure. Yeah, I think another one, I don't know if it was the two Jakes, but I got the two Jakes over there. Brought in money, opportunity. The war was good for L.A. Brought in money, opportunity, and more than a little greed. Put the weasel in jail. Nothing else matters. Nothing else in the world. How about five or six million bucks? Could I make a phone call? Please. Now the war's over, and people come here because they think the money's easy and the women are easier. That's a combination that's good for business. The divorce business. I was honestly unfaithful. Which, by the way, pays for my convertible, my country club dues, Hell of a shit. and my office building, where I can shut the doors and not even hear the oil well pumping across the street. The war was good for women, too. Gave them jobs. Oh, you're going to make me do it, aren't you? <clears throat> money, and enough independence to double the divorce rate, which didn't hurt my business any either. After all these years, I've learned a couple of things. Trick or treat. The clients lie. Say hello to Jake Giddis. What's this? It's a hand grenade. You ought to know that. You're a war hero. The cops always think I'm lying. How do you know he didn't have the gun with him? Oh, I'd never frisk him before I let him walk in on his wife hanging on the headboard while some guy was slamming her into the wall, Lou. The lady in question reminds you of someone else. And marriage has made more liars out of men than golf. Of course, a guy can't live without golf. The deal is you'll turn the wire over to me at the end of this round, or I'll have you killed. Sure, the society crowd turns up its nose at mousing around and peeking through keyholes, but they're the ones who pay the most to see what's on the other side. <laughs> Come on. You can tell me. Blackmail. What are you talking about? You tell me what the hell you think's going on here, and... I'll tell you if I think you're right. These days, people want to have it all. New cars, power steering, houses in the suburbs, speedboats, and instant cameras. Also, Kitty, how could you? What's going on here? How could you, Kitty? How could you with him? Not with him! So now, it only takes a minute to see what a murder looks like. Then what happens? Usually happens when somebody pulls a gun. Mm -hmm. Everybody ducks. What I do for a living may not be very reputable, but I am. In this town, I'm the leper with the most fingers. I don't know if I got that off Amazon. No, that could be. Case. Go ahead. No, I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of. There, I think we really are entering a new golden age of this boutique stuff. I hope so. And, you know. A lot of these other labels are seriously giving Criterion a run for their money for 
not only value, but interesting titles. When they were the only game in town, we all loved them, but you were kind of locked in. It's like, okay, if I wanted a special edition, of course, back then, a lot of the big studios were also producing deluxe editions, and that's unfortunate because when was it? It was probably mid-2000s where your Warner Brothers, your Paramounts, your Universals would really produce some top-notch special editions, and it wasn't strictly a boutique thing. But now it's been, what, probably six, seven years? Mm-hmm. I mean, you see less commentaries. You don't see double-disc packages very often. You know, and largely it's just – it's not the revenue generator, so they're not doing the investments. Yeah, unless it's Marvel or something. Even then, like they're, that. they're 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 special their special features and supplements are usually pretty light. Yeah, that's true. You know, but it is one of those where it's open just opening a window because Kino Lorber they put out some really good stuff. I mean, I picked up their Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and I need to get the other two dollars movies in the trilogy. <clears throat> well, when. When I was in grad school and I was in charge of the film collection and the, the so-called film department, you know, we had more Kino Lorber than anything else mm-hmm. on VHS and on, on tape, I mean on a DVD. And I remember somebody telling me, like, yeah, it's the poor man's criterion or it's the, you know, it's the, yeah, it's the, discount. the ragtag discount yeah. criterion. And, you know, I, I saw... I saw so many gems on Kino Lorber. It was the first time I saw The General, the Buster Keaton movie. Right. You know, it's the first time I saw, uh, like we were talking about before, The, the Birth of a Nation mm-hmm. and uh, Trying for the Will. Right. And there was just a lot of stuff. Uh, there's another one from the 20s called Different from the Others. That was it's on. a silent film. Um, and Kino Lorber was a was a – Particularly from from Weimar and National Socialist Cinema, it was the only one that was putting stuff out. Haxon, you know, they had Haxon out. Oh, Criterion has Haxon. <clears throat> yeah, it's a double. And I don't know uh, why Lorber just got into that niche, but you know, they also did like the Italian neorealist stuff. Yeah, they a lot done, of that. They've done some really tremendous work. Yeah, so I think they are underrated. Um, even like if you go on Lorber has a you know Lorber has a, a streaming service. Yeah, that's right, but I, I I don't subscribe, but I do know they have one. And and some of their stuff is free. That I didn't like know. Black Sunday, the movie with the vampire movie with Barbara Steele. Okay. Yeah, that's free on there. So hmm. I'm I gotta watch that because there was a there was an episode on some podcast that covered it, and like I gotta watch that before I see it. I love Barbara Steele. I just I think she's well at eight and a half. She's just drop dead gorgeous right and uh, apparently in black sunday she pulls the performance of a lifetime and i've seen her on 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 criterion documentaries talking about her working with uh, rosalini and pasolini and people like that anyway so sight and sound yeah so sight and sound time to get a beer well definitely have time to have a beer and everybody's gonna have thoughts but you know sight and sound is what is Sight and Sound? Well, Sight and Sound is the uh, publication produced by the BFI that, amongst other things, every 10 years does a poll of various critics and directors 
to create a list of the, quote, greatest films of all time, end of quote. And to a large degree, they are, this poll, rather, is why Citizen Kane is considered the best movie of all time, and I'm using finger quotes there. Whether it is or not is obviously a matter of debate, because to a large degree, these type of things are inherently silly. Yeah, best movie, yeah. I think the BFI, or Sight and Sound poll, it's probably pretty analogous to the uh, Oscars, right? In that lists and award shows for art and entertainment are inherently silly because these are subjective judgments. So creating this canon via this list is inherently false because who knows what it is? Somebody out there, not me, even though I enjoy it, thinks Rad is the best movie of all time. <laughs> We just know it exists. But it is one of those things where I know that Roger Ebert was the one who had said that the Sight and Sound, the BFI poll, was the only list of its type that was worth taking seriously. Oh, wow. And I think that he's probably right because I know over the years, the different um, polls that occur, the numbers are growing and growing. But this is always the one that people will go back to and give some serious consideration to and evaluate. You know, the AFI poll, for the, what was the last one, 2007? Yeah, I think so. And I really do enjoy it, and I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but it's very narrow focus, and there's a lot of things in there that you go, okay, that's not in the top 100 American films, because it is, you know, it's going to be narrow by its focus. It's only American films. And some of those I call question to, because like, Bridge on the River Kwai is on there, and I just think that more of a UK film than a US, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is one of those where this one is about the only one that throws that wide of a net, and they use, at this point, I think it's thousands. I don't know how many participants in the poll actually there are, but I want to say for the critic side, there's 2,500 plus. And what they do is they submit a list of 10. And then they tally up all these polls, and whatever ends up most consistently on these top ten lists gets slotted. Which is why for what ninety five, you have six there that all tied at ninety five. Right. Yeah. A man escaped on your computer. A man escaped is kind of slotted into the hundred spot, whereas on every single one of mine, get out is slotted into the hundred spot. So it is in these groups. But that's what this list is. There's also a director's poll, which I find a lot more consistent with my personal perspective and taste. But the critics' poll is the big one that gets the attention. The AFI, I remember the the 97 AFI that we watched on TV live. Mm -hmm. um, I really didn't have a problem with that. I thought that was, there are things on it that I disagreed with, of course. but For sure. But I, I found it very entertaining, and and uh, oh, absolutely, it had a really good reasoning behind it all, and it was very selective. Like it was only American film, mm-hmm. which was fine, and because <clears throat> that was the that's the that is the uh, the structure of it. That was yeah. That, so everybody knew what they were getting into. Um, I think Kane was number one. Vertigo was number two. But I think it was like 25 or 26, like Pulp Fiction showed up. Right. 
And that kind of, I remember even at the time, everybody was like, wow. Like, even us in the room, like, that was the only film in the 90s, I think. That made it there. That made it into, you know, and that, that was a big fucking deal. And, and that, and that to me, is one of the major quibbles I have with the current BFI list. Yeah. Is consistent with that. It's not the Pulp Fiction. It's that recency bias. Yeah. But go on. Well, in, in, in that case, to hit on that, like, uh, it was Rolling Stone released 100 Greatest Songs of All Time mm-hmm. last yeah, year. Talk about it, a completely impossible list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, much like, and like you were saying, it's subjective and everything else. But, I mean, that list was batshit crazy. It, the 20% of the list was in the last... 20-something years where we're struggling with how do you rate songs how do you how do you judge a song's income mm-hmm. how do you chart a song or judge a song's charting in the age of stream we're dealing with all these types of things we're dealing with uh you know bands like uh, the eagles sliding down the list when bands that uh, are coming nowhere even like a tenth of their sales target um ranking way 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 high okay and that's that's never an arbiter of taste or or good or what have you um but in fact an argument could be made the opposite it's true it's true it's very true but but you need to have some kind of cultural awareness and sales kind of indicate a cultural awareness yeah yeah the beatles sold a shit ton of records that only got four grannies right you know right now taylor swift has like seven times more Grammys than the Beatles do. And she is seems to be exceptionally talented. She seems to be. But she is certainly not seven times the artist of the Beatles, in most people's opinion. People my age, in 1968, knew a lot of Beatles songs. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was a lot less songs to I don't know. know any Taylor Swift songs. Shake it off. No. You've heard it. Wouldn't wouldn't identify it as hers that's that's plausible but i bet yeah. you've heard it but yeah i, I know the feeling because it's uh who's another band oh I, I, golly since i'm so not in touch with today's music there was somebody mentioned that's like yeah, it's yeah. Like, i've never heard of this but band she seems like a, a rock pop type of artist country pop yeah. would be like in my wheelhouse it would be like someone that i would know pay attention to listen yeah but the to delivery the system is so different now Quite possibly that could be it. You don't listen to the radio. You don't watch the MTV. No. You know, the the monoculture had its problems and its huge benefits, Hmm. right? So there's no monoculture anymore. It's all splintered into so many different directions that the Beatles won't exist anymore. That's right. Now, there will be another band that's probably arguably as talented that shows up in the next 15 years. It's possible. But they will never achieve that attention just because of the splintering of our attentions. I could go with that. At least I think. Maybe not the Beatles, but you know what I mean. The Stones, at least. Still going strong? No, no, no. I'm just talking about from a artistic strength and popularity perspective. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the Stones... Definitely the they could be matched. third or fourth best British rock band of all time. Yeah. yeah. 
I would say so. Yeah, I mean, could you see someone else getting to that level? But it's plausible. Maybe not rock band because they don't, you know, we don't have rock bands anymore, mm-hmm. for, which is for the worse, of course. Well, people said that in the '90s. You know, people in the early '90s, people were lamenting the grunge movement and alternative. A lot of these highfalutin people on Rolling Stone and Spin are like, "What is this shit?" Right. You know, and then along comes a band like Oasis. Uh, which a lot, you know, a lot of people, admittedly, like yourself, don't particularly care for. Yeah, they're not my bag. But they became uh, very quickly oh, yeah. that huge. band, uh, yeah. particularly in Europe. They were just unbelievable, and they they hit the U.S. on their their second album, like a juggernaut. And uh, you know, Rolling Stone just re- published an article uh, last year about how they were wrong on "Be Here Now," their famous third bomb, mm-hmm. or at least their third album, and it was supposed to be this huge deal and it just bombed horribly and rolling stone published an article recently but was we were entirely wrong no retraction. this was the album of 1997 that's hilarious it just, it just was you know um but th- that's you know rolling stone was still written by guys who worked there in the early 70s oh yeah and spin was still people who worked there in the 80s and that's that's no bang against them just reality right and so we're going to have the same, you know, people, it just seems like, um, seems like a lot of people are sold on artists like, uh, Taylor Swift and artists like, uh, Harry Styles, uh, Harry Styles, who I, I don't understand at all. Or, uh, Billie Eilish, who I've, I own several Billie Eilish songs. Uh, I've listened to all of her first or second album. Mm-hmm. I think she's an extremely talented person. Um, but I don't think she holds a candle to Linda Rodstadt or, you know, that's just my opinion. Sure. And it's not you necessarily know. wrong, but it's not necessarily right either. But right. I know that she is important to the zeitgeist of the teenagers, or at least was about three years ago. Who knows? I mean, at this point, she may be completely discarded. I don't know. The youth tends to rule. Because at least from that sells, perspective, yeah. You know. Yeah. And I'm certainly not going to argue with that because we were young once. And yeah, we and it was so much better. It was awesome. <laughs> so Sight and Sound. Yes. But they've released in uh, December 2022 the uh, most recent listing of the a rank. Nah, it's probably a listing more than a ranking of the greatest films of all time. And we're not going to go one by one through them, but... No, I wouldn't think so. We're going to bring up uh, things that pop out to us, like Once Upon a Time in the West, 1968, Italy, Sergio Leone, I Like It, Henry mm-hmm. Fonda playing against type, Charles Bronson and Jason Robards in the same movie, Claudia Cardinal. Lots of things going for this. I really like the format. Right. Um, top 100 movies ever. No. Uh, no. It depends, right? I mean, Leone made, like, what, like, eight, nine films, and this is in his bottom two. Oh, I think that's probably a very uncommon opinion. Really? Yeah, I think probably most people consider Once Upon a Time in the West probably his top film. What? Yeah. Above the good, the bad, and the ugly? You're probably looking from the Leone perspective at a shifting of three, right? You've got... Once Upon a Time in the West, Once Upon a Time in America, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, you're going to probably split that up almost evenly among people who consider what's the top. But I think Once Upon a Time in the West does have a very highly regarded reputation. 
I, I do think that it makes some sense. I don't know if I agree with it or not. You know, if we're looking at this kind of general time frame, almost revisionist Western, I'll take the Wild Bunch over to any day of the week. But I think that your opinion isn't wrong, but it's probably not very common with a lot of the general admirers. The, the majority of Leone films thinks that this is his finest film. The yeah, majority so. of Leone fans. I don't know if the majority, but a sizable enough percentage it matters. Okay. Because it is a sprawling epic. You are dealing with the things you just referenced with the uh, casting of his type. And we all know this is done by eggheads. And they like that type of thing. It's in the subversion of Henry Fonda's image. And therefore, it must be better. Blah. You know, and Charles Bronson. We all, we accept this as a reality, as whether we agree with it or not. But I, I suspect that your immediate dismissal of that is probably worth reconsidering. Huh. Well, right now I'm thinking there better be one or two Leone films above this. And there's not. This is the only Leone so film in the entire list. That's, now, that's fucked up. Well, I don't know if it is or not. I mean, you're, te- you're talking about over a... 110 years of cinema spanning who knows how many different countries. Yeah. Right. And part of their objective has been to expand the quote diversity into quote, which is one of the problems I have with it because I think that is artificially changing some things, but that's not even, I don't even know if I'm right, frankly, that's just my initial feeling because you know, I'm a conservative and don't like change all that much. But, no, I, th- I think that that does make some sense. My biggest problem is, depending on how you look at it, number 95 or number 100 or somewhere in between, which is Get Out. And it's not Get Out as a film. But this list comes out every 10 years. Where This is my probably my biggest problem with this list is there are four films on here, which is 4%, that are from this past decade. And I don't know if anything, if you're releasing a list every 10 years, right, makes sense to have in the top 100 if it's within the past 7 to 10 years. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, there's a recency bias that I think is really problematic. You know, is Get Out, because of the four films from the 20 teens, is you have Get Out, you have Parasite, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and I can't recall the other one. Hang on one second, because I'll look it up real quick. For our listeners at home, Dave actually put them all into a spreadsheet. Excel, so he could, that? He could sort it very quickly for this conversation. In Moonlight. Moonlight. Yeah, so th- those four films are all in the, quote, greatest 100 films of all time. Now, one of the things that for 2012 they released, and I assume they're going to do the same thing with 2022's list, is the top 250. They released the top 100 to say, oh, then there's a 250, mm-hmm. right, which is, because I have some real quibbles, right, because is Get Out a better movie than Lawrence of Arabia? Fuck I don't no. particularly think so. Right? I really don't. 
I don't think it's got the staying power. Although I think Get Out is probably one of those movies that I could see a compelling argument to be in the top 100 in 10 more years from now. I could see that argument. Whether I agree with it or not, I don't know. But I could see that argument. But that came out in 2017. That was five years ago. Is its impact as great as Lawrence of Arabia? At this point, it's yet to be determined, so therefore I don't think so. But with the top 250, is Lawrence of Arabia 101 and Get Out's 100? In which case, do I care that much? Probably not. But that's my biggest quibble is that we have these four films that are in the top 100 that are within five to seven years. I think that Get Out and Parasite are probably the two movies that have the greatest potential to retain some you know slot in the next one well and you you mentioned that and you know it goes the other way too Hmm? and there's some movies that totally deserve to shoot sure sure sure. you know like a couple of weeks ago the rewatchables did an episode on eyes wide shut you know eyes wide shut was just one of those films the the critics you know before it came out everyone couldn't wait for that fucking movie to come out yeah, like desperate. you and i waited for that movie for like five years to come out yeah. and and it was like a it was a cultural and then it came out and i mean the critics were just uh, i mean mixed the best they were mixed i mean ebert I mean, liked it was, it. A, it was a tepid response it, it was and the audience definitely didn't like it i don't know if i liked it when i saw it uh, well i mean i've seen it maybe three four times and uh, I'm not. You have to be careful when you say it's Kubrick's worst movie because what is that? Right. Probably but, one of those before Spartacus. <laughs> right. Which you know, I know that confused Kubrick because yeah, people love Kiss. Spartacus, and he's confused why people you know Spartacus is a great flick. It's a great flick. Is but it a great Kubrick flick? I don't know, but it's a great flick. Yeah. So. Okay, continue though. Well, I was just I was just saying, like, you know, there were that one's coming around. Like, I don't know if I'm coming around on it. Like I'm gonna have to watch it again to find out whether or not what Sean Finnessy and Bill Simmons were saying mm-hmm. is true, which was this this is actually a pretty good flick and nobody gave it the uh enough credence at the time. And I, I wouldn't it's be possible. surprised if that's a fairly consistent with my feelings if I, when I see it again. Yeah. I mean, it could be. It's, well, to, could be. to a large degree, it reminds me a lot of Jackie Brown. Right. When Jackie Brown came out, I had these expectations that it wasn't shooting from my personal expectations. So I walked out confused and disappointed because I expected A, and I got something that wasn't A. So, But I've thought about that one probably as much as almost any Tarantino flick. It's like, okay, well, I need to revisit it. And who knows? Maybe it'll be one of my favorites. You know, my, my son, um, he watched them all, and he thinks Jackie Brown is Tarantino's best film. It, and I can see a, a compelling argument. Like like you say, he doesn't have that baggage. Right. He didn't walk into yeah. it saying, oh, I'm expecting Pulp Fiction Part 2. Right. Well, and, and how exactly do you follow a palm door from Khan on your next film? You know, Maybe this is a good choice of thing. But, okay, yeah. back to the but, list. Yeah, so all right, back so to the list. Is, scroll up a little bit. Uh, to this block of six that all tied it. Oh, 95. Right. You got a man escaped once upon a time in the West tropical malady, which I have, I don't know at all. Yeah. Uh, black girl, the general and get out. 
right? Yeah. And I think that this is one of the things that I find, let's go with interesting. Well, I mean, and, and I'm not. It's not a critical. It's not a critical thing, right? It's it's an interesting thing because Black Girl came out in what 1965. Yeah. All right. So it wasn't on the BFI top 250 of the critics, and all of a sudden it jumped to 95. Doesn't mean it's not deserving of that spot. It's just an interesting thing to note, right? I think maybe the general wasn't on the top 250 either, and it jumped to 95 or 97 or however you want to rank these things. I know that Man Escaped, I believe that Once Upon a Time in the West, yeah, Once Upon a Time in the West was actually listed at number 80 in the 2012 list. So it slipped down. It did slip down, right? Which a lot of the Westerns, I mean, there's there's quite a few Westerns that... People don't like Westerns anymore. It's I know, just, and I don't know if that's the theme. for the best or the worst or whatever, but it is it's a reality, right? Tropical Malady, don't know at all. I don't believe that was ranked. Of course, that was from 04, so it probably wasn't because recency bias. They probably followed my basic chain of thought that, uh, you know, if 2012 is 2004, it probably shouldn't be in the top 100 or even 250. So that grouping, though, I mean, the only one I really have a problem with is Get Out and primarily, if not exclusively, the recency bias. Yeah. Because I find it fucking absurd you, that you the movie be, from 2017 is in the top 100 of all time. You have to be careful with – I mean, the, the recency bias is very important. I mean, I want to do an episode one of these days mm-hmm. about how the Oscars just don't work. Particularly after, like, 1965. Yeah, it's probably accurate, yeah. And, <clears throat> and, we, and we talked about before about how – you know, we sh- the big picture should be separated from uh, another oh, I category. Like that. I mean, you had an idea that you floated out there. We're having a essentially an audience award. Yeah, Grand Prix. And I think that was a tremendously good idea, actually, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, it, it seems like it's it's more needed, particularly after probably even 1975, when you have like Jaws and then what wins Best Picture. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Okay, that one makes some sense to me. I don't know if I agree with it, but it makes some sense. Or nineteen eighty, where you know ordinary people wins over Raiders of the Lost right. Ark, which things people like don't that even... go. Oh, okay, that's weird. Yeah, I or mean, wasn't even nominated. Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Or Forrest Gump wins over Saving Private Ryan, right? Or right. in the same year, one over Pulp Fiction. Yeah, you know, or seventy seven, or Annie Hall won over Star Wars. Yeah. Which one's going to make a bigger impact on pop culture, movies? Well, it's not just the the impact on on pop culture. No, certainly not. But pop culture changes society. But it's one of those things where, which are the Grand Prix, it makes some sense to have that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, is Top Gun Maverick the best movie of 2022? I don't know. It might be. But it is one of those where, if you have something like that, where it's not in the same competition as some of the other films that are going to be nominated, which are undoubtedly tremendous, it's just aiming for a different objective. Right. Right. Avatar, Way of Water, Top Gun Maverick, things like that. It almost makes more sense to have them in competition with themselves as opposed to some of the other ones. It's like, 
Spider-Man No Way Home. Was that the most recent one? Yeah. Okay. Should that have been in the best picture race? Probably not. But I could see where it would have been nominated because it was a huge crowd pleaser. But going up against Coda and Power of the Dog and some of the other, you know, it's just a different objective. And well, rewarding it definitely makes some sense. Most of those pictures that were nominated, people had never even seen. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a big problem with the Academy. It is a huge problem. You know, But it is also one of those things where the audience is bringing it on themselves. And I know that we'd live in a different era, but, you know, we talked about this before offline where – you know, the bridge over the river Kwai, you know, it was, it was an enormous cultural event. It was a movie that a lot of people went to. It was heavily nominated. Mm-hmm. It was very well loved by the audience, by the critics, by the Academy. And it, and it won best picture 1958, I think. So in that range. Yeah. And, and that was a movie that sort of hit all the goal markers. And it's like, you can't do that again. You really can't. You know, most of the people, uh, unless you're talking about Top Gun Maverick. Right, which is probably but Top not Gun the Maverick same. Will, will never be nominated. Never be. I bet you get nomination for Best Picture. I really do. I think it's actually going to get. I think it actually is, but it's an outlier. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of like Mad Max. Yeah, Fury Road yeah. was nominated. It's an outlier. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an outlier. It's one of those things where it's so well done that it may get a different. Pre- of course, then again, we're also looking at they're nominating ten movies as opposed to five. Yeah, they had to open it up. I don't think they because have. they had to because they can't. It was all because of the Dark Knight, which is the exact same thing. You know, I, I'm surprised that that fucking Godard didn't have a film in every Best Picture category every time he released a movie because he just probably getting, did from Best Foreign Film. It's yeah, probably yeah. It's just getting that narrow, in my opinion. It's getting. Sure, I know. 2019 I, I, was like the last year that I remember where like all these very popular. This will be an interesting year. Films. Of course, past two years are kind of astro-worthy. They're wacky. So this year will be really interesting. Because I, I wouldn't be stunned if Top Gun and Way of Water get nominations. They may not be, but I wouldn't be stunned if they are, especially with 10. Okay, but continue on with the list. Continuing on, we're finally getting down to the 80s. Uh, the Shining is 88, which, I mean, what, what do you think is Kubrick's best film? Because, oh. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think it's a Shining. No, I, I don't either. But I think Kubrick is one of the only filmmakers on this list who have multiple pictures. Kubrick has, and I apologize. To he better have something above this, like Dr. Strangelove. I don't think Strangelove made it. Fuck. I think Barry Lyndon did, which makes you happy. Dad, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Are you serious? I believe so. Yeah, he's got... No, I apologize. Uh, no, no. He has three movies. Okay. Um, Shining. Shining. Very limited. And you know what the other one is. It's top ten. Full Metal Jacket? No. Oh, 2001. Right. Kind of I, How did I not? Well, because you don't almost you almost don't think of it yeah. as a Kubrick film because it's such a piece yeah. of the cinematic, cinematic landmarks, you know? True. So, I mean... He's he's one of the few ones that have multiple. Uh, that I would choose that over. Yeah, no, two thousand one makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah, it does. From an influence perspective and an impact, yeah, it makes a and lot of sense. They're above The Shining. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I like The Shining. I just, you know, eighty eight. I don't know. Well, you know, for a horror movie, an elevated horror movie, if you will. Okay, that makes some sense. 89, 88, somewhere in that range. 
Sure. But the problem is, of course, is as you go down, you go to like 84 is your boy, David Lynch. Yeah. And I don't think Blue Velvet should probably be on this top 100. Well, it may or may not be, but is Blue Velvet, this is the problem that you get with right. any is list. It, is it better than The is Shining? It better than The Shining. And I, I mean, I'm going to say no. Well, no, I don't, I don't think it is. No, I, I, I don't think that it is. Do I think it's a more interesting movie than The Shining? Yeah. Can you have more conversations about Blue Velvet and its meaning than The Shining? Yes. Uh, no, I, I think you could. I mean, I don't know if... It's certainly not definitively, right? But is it one of those things where, okay, I can see... That being said, I don't think Blue Velvet should be on the top 100 because David Lynch has two movies in the top 100. What's the other one? We'll get to it. It's going to make you mad. <laughs> but I, I think it makes some sense. I mean, David Lynch is probably... Dune. It is not Dune. <laughs> it is not Dune, and it's not Wild Heart. I put Wild at Heart over 80, at 84. But hey. Uh, wild at Heart. I love that flick. Nicholas Cage does a great yeah, impersonation, impersonation of himself in Wild at Heart in that movie. That was before he was Nicholas Cage, The though. unbearable... Uh, Minus the, of being, or no, 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 no the in, the unbearable weight of, weight of massive, massive talent. talent. Yeah, he does an impression of himself in Wild at Heart. It is genius. Woo. Yeah, it's Woo. Like, now I saw that flick in the theater, and it just blew my mind. It was great. In eighty eight. Oh, Wild at Heart. Yeah, yeah. And I just went with a buddy of mine, and he walked out saying, "What the fuck was that?" It's like I don't know, but I <laughs> loved it. All right, but okay. So I mean, these are these are some quibbles, right? Is Blue Velvet. Can I see a compelling argument for being on the same broad level as The Shining? Sure. Spirit of the Be Beehive, I haven't seen. I've heard it's tremendous. So I couldn't say. Pirolafu is shit. <laughs> I haven't seen Look, history. two Godards back to back. History of Cinema and Pierre de Fou. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Sunset Boulevard makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. There's quite a few Billy Wilders. I think Billy Wilders got at least two. Uh, Modern Times, 78. Well, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember it being... And it's one of those that, from an important standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so... Uh, Matter of Life and yeah, Death. Yeah, Powell and Pressburger. And I think that's the only one... No, no, they've got two on here. How many do See, they I'm, have? I mean, I, I think that Black Narcissus is better than Matter of Life and Death. But this is one of those things where... You're, you're splitting hairs. Yeah, I mean, it's... You have to choose, like, what pal and Pressburger, right? Or, you know, do you use everybody? And they've got two. And then it's kind of like so the Hayao Miyazaki, the this Spirited one Away. Strange. Uh, well, it, not if you're a Miyazaki fan. Well, okay. Miyazaki has two films. He did, what's the other one? It is My Neighbor Tor Totoro. Totoro. See, I wouldn't even. Well, the I'm, thing I find very strange is I look at these and I say, okay, I've, I've seen Spirited Away. Very strange flick. Mm -hmm. I've not seen Totoro, so I can't. I don't have strange any opinion flick. on it. But it kind of identifies to me as like, what's the point? How are people qualifying these things? Because having two animated films in the top hundred, cool, no worries. I don't. I think there's only two, and these are the two, I believe. But I, I, I'm kind of surprised that these two would be on here as opposed to. Okay, say Spirited Away and the one that I think makes a lot of sense on this list, which is Snow White. Oh, just uh, across animation. I mean, it's, yeah, from that ver 
very from that perspective. Yeah, yeah it's like okay. So or uh, is there the, a more important animated film in the history of cinema than Snow White? And the answer know, is probably no. You, I think uh, Persepolis, which is about twenty years old. Mm-hmm. I think it was two thousand two, two thousand four. It was about a Iranian girl who uh, went to France. You know, I thought that was. Uh, an exceptional animated film. I, I like it way better than Spirited Away. Right. And I'm a Miyazaki fan. Like I don't like all of his stuff, but like if I'm going to go with Miyazaki, I wouldn't go with Spirited Away. What would you go I, with? Uh, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, okay. which I've covered on the Super 70 podcast. Right. And just that just that one just speaks to me more. It right. It works it's, for you. Yeah. And it's more of an action than, you know. Okay. Miyazaki is also like very... Miyazaki's very uh, metaphysical and he's very metaphorical and like he did his own version of say Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. So if you do not know Alice in Wonderland's story, it just gets wild very quickly. Kind of like Alice in Wonderland in, does. In, right. In an Eastern setting. So you may not recognize it. Like I didn't recognize it. And then somebody said, well, it's a remake of Alice in Wonderland. I was like, Oh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right. So if you're – so I understand there's a lot of – it's, it's kind of like um, – you know, Kurosawa was doing a lot of Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. And there are a lot of people in Japan that were like, what the fuck is this? But we like it because it's you know, Shakespeare and it's – Right. So they didn't particularly understand where it was right. all coming from. But to Western audiences, like, oh, okay. No, I, I get this. I understand this. This is King Lear. This is Macbeth or something. They get it. So you can – but a lot of his stuff is like that. A lot of it, not necessarily like like copied, but sure. it's very it's inspired. If you very will. supernatural okay. inspired, I should say, and it's for for animation. <clears throat> I don't think a lot of people can go there, including me. Okay, Nasca the Valley of the Wind is not supernatural. Not it's just it's just an animated dystopian post apocalyptic flick well, like Fury tremendous. Road. You know, right. right but it is one head. of those where this is one of the things I noticed that the list I'm looking at, the way it was displayed on my computer is slightly different than yours. We were spirited away and um, my, my neighbor Totoro was back to back, 74 and 75, because I have sorted the list according to the way it was displayed on my computer. And I just was struck by, okay, again... If you come from an animated perspective, I'm not going to argue with these two at all because I haven't. I saw Spirit Away. I thought it was. It wasn't my bag, right? But okay, sure. But not having something like Snow White was, or even Fantasia for that matter, is kind of shocking. That seems kind of weird. Now, but Snow White is one of those that it's like, okay, this was the first feature length one right. in how are we looking at the 100 greatest movies of all time? Is there something that was more influential than Snow White? It, yeah, since it kind of established this, no white viable, was pretty fucking influential. Yeah, for, establishing it as a viable medium, it's like okay, yeah. So that is where I started thinking about. It. It's like okay, what's the point of this list? Well, and yeah, no, I get that. And and when it comes to Miyazaki, I, the man's done great things for animation, and yeah, he's got a new one coming out next year. Yeah, he and he's old too. Yeah, he, like, uh, I think that's his last. It's his last one. I think he retired. Uh, I think he retired, and then he came back for this one. I okay, think. but I don't know that. But it, he's he's done so much for animation, but at the same time, it's like I'm not a huge fan of his work. Like right. I, I love Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind, and I struggle to find another one that I like. Gotcha. Right where I, I, when I look at my neighbor Totoro or Spirited Away, I actually prefer something like um, oh, 
what's the one with the girl that can disappear? She's wearing the suit. They made a remake of it. Scarlett Johansson was in Ghost in the Shell. I thought that was an awesome animated film. I thought it was really well done. Or Akira. Akira is probably right. Like, why isn't Akira on this list? I mean, it's way better than Spirited Away. I know that there are some Miyazaki fans that spear me. I don't know. I don't think. uh, I think if you ask, uh, I think Miyazaki is probably going to be. I think Spirited Away is probably going to be remembered a lot longer than Akira is. Really? Yeah, it's really kind of hit a. It's kind of hit a a chord. Like, well, my daughter's generation, which is, God knows what it is, Generation Z. She's 25. What does that make her? Something like that. Yeah, I mean, they adore his Millennials. And she's never heard of Akira. I've introduced it. Well, I mean, I saw Akira on re-release a couple years ago with my son, and it was good. But I will say this. Every year at Cinemark, Mm -hmm. there's a Miyazaki festival. Yeah. For two weeks. And people line up, and they They sell out. They do. And I go every year, and I see Nausicaa. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then you walk away and say, "Hey, I, that was great. Love yeah. that." <laughs> so, okay, okay. So keep strong up lists. Imitation okay. of life. Douglas Sirk. Douglas Sirk. He's, he's the only a, Douglas Sirk that made it in there. That's the one that I would pick. That makes that, sense. That is an amazing film. Uh the the vegetables. The next one on your list. Hang on a second. And it does bounce around. It, it, okay, so I'm, I'm in a little bit. Trey Rublev. Well, it was one of those where I saw Sancho the Bailiff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, that's Kurosawa? No, it's not Kurosawa. It's, it's an Ozu? Oh, gosh. I'm. I'm no. It's on the Mizuguchi. Mizuguchi? Okay. So yeah. I, I I saw that. My son got that for me for last Christmas. He saw it. I said, oh. Criterion? Yeah. And he's like, oh. I'm like okay, David. Because he thought, I think. He saw good. it first. He, he saw it saying? on the shelf and he bought it for me. Oh, okay. Because he, th- he read the back and th- thought I'd enjoy it. And he's like, okay, we're, we're going to watch it. I think he kind of anticipated it to be something along the lines of Yojimbo, some kind of samurai. Oh, it's, like, yeah, it's yeah. not a samurai film, but let's watch it. That is a rough flick to walk through, but it is really good. Oh, yeah. 1954, it's a rough flip, flick to watch. It's, 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 it's kind of like depressing. Pacing? Oh, depressing. It's, it, it's, it's a rough mood. Ending. The mood is. Yeah, it's just like, okay, this is. But it is a very good film. I don't know if I'd put it in my top 100, but sure, I don't, I'm not going to argue with it. So there's Totoro. There's, so Andre Rublev, Tarkovsky. How many films do you think Tarkovsky has on here? Well, if I know the cinema-loving community, yep. probably fucking all of them. <laughs> I think you might be. I mean, is Mirror on there? Mirror's on there. Uh-huh. Is uh, Solaris on there? Solaris is not. Uh, shocking. Stalker. Stalker's on there, of course. He is not your bag. I've seen Andre Rublev. That is a... So he's got Mirror, Stalker, and Andre Rublev. Yeah. And it is one of those where I look at it and I say, God, does it make sense should it almost be where you are disallowed from having more than one film in the top 100? That's an idea, like a limiting. Yeah, because I, I don't know. Because Hitchcock, I think, has four. Which four of those? Well, you got Vertigo. You got Rear Window. You got Psycho. Okay. And North by Northwest. Okay. And those are all no-brainers to me. I would only choose Psycho. Really? Well, like we're, like we were going talking before about like the 
the cratering impact of pop culture. Yeah, Psycho probably made the biggest impact. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Psycho was a was a juggernaut. Yeah, and it cre- yeah. almost created a genre. Right. Right, <clears throat> which has got that, that makes it top 100 most like, important films of all time for sure. Yes. Now, now North by Northwest is extremely influential and entertaining as all get out. Th- there are parts in it that are very dry. And oh, I, I could not get through some of it. I disagree. I think that's but. one of the most entertaining flicks I've ever seen. I think Rear Windows is best. Okay, but I'm so, so we have not touched a Hitchcock film yet, and I'm no, looking at not. the screen. Oh, high up. And <clears throat> number sixty-three, Goodfellas. Yes. So all of Hitchcock's movies, including Rear Windows, better than Goodfellas. Oh, I don't know if they're better than it. But that's just what they're above it. That's what they're they're above it, like. But so if I you get, took, if you took, I mean, look at it this way again, because my initial reaction to a lot of this list was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Right. But when you look at it and you say, okay, if you're going to pull a hundred people of various ages, backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera, just here in the States, right. So give me your 10 greatest flicks. You know, it's, it's plausible ten, where good fellows would have less. 10 greatest flicks. You pull 10 people, give me your 10 greatest flicks. Jaws is not on this list. Yeah, that's a Raiders of the Lost Ark no, is not on this list. Yeah, no Spielberg. Star Wars is not on this list. Star Wars makes sense. The Spielberg not being on here at all is. Empire Strikes criminal. Back is not on this list. I, that's the greatest movie ever made. That's and not true. It, that is. That's that, not Empire true. Strikes Back that is, is the not. Movie that's ever. your favorite movie ever made, but it's not the greatest movie ever made. I don't know. Citizen Kane, Empire. I prefer Empire. Sure, like I said, that's what you—that's your favorite movie, but it's certainly not the greatest. I really like Empire. Oh man, I think it's better than Kane. Okay, but personally, it's not. With all due respect, well, to, it depends uh, on how you define greatest, right? How do you define it? I don't know. All right, but that's so another you have, discussion. You have Metropolis. Yeah, kind of. Kind of low. Yeah. But at the same time, okay, it makes sense. It's in the top two-thirds, or, you know, three-fourths. Almost two-thirds. It's 67, so damn near. Makes sense. Third man. Third man, but you have... I'm not going to argue with that. Tuki Buki, which is one of those where I've not seen, so I have literally no opinion on the film itself. Uh, I've not seen it. Well, I think that in general, um, I've seen Scorsese... He recently really push uh, African cinema. Right. And it's from, and I, I think, think there's like three films or two from Senegal. Yeah. This is one of them. Oh, Black Girls from Senegal. Yeah. So I th- there's there's two or three. But it's one of those where it's like, Tuki Buki was one, another one that caught my eye, where it's like, it wasn't in the top 250. <laughs> I'm going to point out and, and direct to you, sir, hmm. number 63. Fucking Casablanca. Yeah. Now, if if there's any movie that needs to be above seventy five or above fifty, <laughs> I, I I like Casablanca a lot more than sixty three. But it's it's at the same level on this list as Third Man. Does there that make sense? are there are three movies directly 
below it I have never heard of. Yeah, it's 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 definitely something to me that's the third man in Casablanca to me are absolutely one hundred percent greater movies than La Dolce Vita. I've not seen Moonlight, but again it goes back to that recency bias that I got a problem with. Daughters of the Dust, which I don't know, in Sans Soleil, which I also haven't seen. I know of it. Is it better than Contempt? I enjoy it more. Is it better than Blade Runner? I think so. Okay, okay. number number fifty four. What? How many Godard movies are on this fucking oh, list? Godard's got like four. Four? Yeah. Only four? Okay. Well, hang on. I, could I be was expecting like forty out of this community. No, 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 no. But it might be. But I am impressed. Is this Ridley Scott's only film, Blade it Runner? Is Ridley yes, it is. Okay. So, oh. once again. Who does Godard? It's a, it's a film with a very mixed reputation. Yeah, he's got four. He's got Breathless Contempt. And really, Scott has a. We talked about this before. He has a very mixed output. Oh yeah, it's it's remarkably it's, inconsistent. I would like to to know what version they think is number. 54. I'm sure it's uh, the final cut. No, it's the one, theatrical. No, what's the one before the final cut? The international or the director's cut? Well, it's probably the director's because you have yeah. the international. It's probably the okay. Well, probably. I mean, this this is where we say you know we're just a bunch of Edwins who admit that there's four cuts of Blade Runner and they're all very drastically different <laughs> and they've you know yeah I prefer the scene with the oysters and the in, in Spartacus <laughs> to be cut in and then it's a better movie. I mean, I know we're splitting hairs. Yeah, we are here. absolutely splitting hairs. You know, Ridley Scott is a brilliant director. He's done. You could argue that he's done better films than Blade Runner. I I, I, I like Alien a lot more than Blade Runner. Alien. Uh, but I think Blade Runner's probably a... Black Hawk Down. I enjoy that more than Blade Runner. I, actually, there's a lot of really you know, movies. You but, know, but, but, but again, in terms of... you know, Harrison Ford went to the Oscars, was it last year or the year mm-hmm. before? And he, and he read this little cue card about this review that somebody had written about Blade Runner. And it was just horrible. And but that was that was really the reputation it had at the time. Yeah. And no. it's it's had this again, a cultural impact. Much greater right. than the other movies of his which I prefer. Like, like is Blade Runner more important than Alien? I think it probably is. That's a tough call, man. Alien I think it, I think is, it probably is. Alien is so influential. Yeah, but I think Blade Runner's more so. I mean, I, I know the alien is basically Jaws. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get that. Blade Runner is new. Yeah. And know, I don't, a future I don't, noir. I mean, it's not... It's not... It deserves a place on this list, I think. There's a compelling argument for there's, it. It makes sense. Yes, it sure. makes sense. But, you know, it's, it's gone up because in the 2012, it was 69. Now, I, I will also tell you that if I were Ridley Scott and I were looking at this list and somebody put me... Right next to Contempt Eisenstein. Oh, for Battleship Potemkin, like I'd be pretty fucking happy. I'd be pretty. Like, Brian De Palma would fucking kill people. Yeah, with a knife to be ranked right next to <laughs> Eisenstein. And Potemkin is one of those where it's uh, it's unusual because in the 2012 it was ranked at number 11. Contempt is shit, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, hey. Technicolor shit. I've been drinking. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. I'm going to have another one. 
If it makes you feel any better, um, Contempt was ranked number 74 by the directors. The Apartment, Sherlock Jr., Ali, well, Fury's I mean, so I was going to say, like, when I saw when I saw The General, and I've covered The General in the Super 70 podcast, and The General is a fun movie. I really like it, but Sherlock Jr. is better. I've and heard that, yeah. So I was, I was actually, so when I saw The General, I was like, well, there's not another Buster Keaton on this list. Yeah, I think that's the only one that made it. And uh, to see Sherlock ranked higher than The General, it does give me a little bit of faith it means somebody's paying attention yeah might be one out of ten people but the apartment another how many billy wilder movies are there on this i think there's three okay some like it hot yeah the apartment what's the third one well the The apartment uh, sunset boulevard and and some like it hot Hot? oh okay okay so i got it right i believe so that's that's not the one that i would go for some Some like like it hot? hot yeah i don't like that film I know I'm way outside. What do you mean you don't like that movie? <laughs> no, I don't like that film. I'm outside on that. I, what do you mean I, you don't I, like it? Yeah, that's not the one I would go for. But you just, you didn't say that. You said you don't like it. Yeah, that's I don't. different. I don't, well, true. I mean, I wouldn't put that on this list as like, you know, the best Billy Wilder. But do you not like that movie? Yeah, not really. I'm not really. No. I mean, I like Marilyn Monroe in that film. Yeah. Uh, you don't I, like Jack Lemmon or Tony Curtis? No, I don't. You know, I don't like the setting, and I don't like the setup, and I don't. You know, I just the twenties on the beach in Miami, and it's not my work. favorite Billy Wilder, but it's probably his greatest movie. Billy Wilder did a movie that he shot in Germany with uh, I don't remember who it was, Marlena Dietrich, and it was about this, you know, this uh, congresswoman who goes to Berlin in 1945 and mm-hmm. tries to investigate what's going on with the American military effort there in the post-war situation. And, you know, Marlene Dietrich's a singer. She's trying to survive. So she has to, for lack of better words, like whore herself out to to get things that she wants and needs in order to, to live. And, I would have said use her feminine wiles, but whatever. Yeah, you could, you could say that. <clears throat> and, uh, like, who's going to argue with Marlene Dietrich? Certainly not me. Uh, I think she's wonderful in the film. I can't remember the fucking name. I was like, what's the name? I can't remember the name of it. 1948, 1949. You must see a foreign affair. It is so romantic. That's a really good picture. Awfully funny, you know. Don't miss a foreign affair. Such a lovely, such a laughing. Very funny picture. Oh, yes, very funny. Sherlock Jr., 400 Blows, The Apartment. So how many how many good R movies? You already told me. Like 16,000 good no, R movies on the top? Somewhere between four and 16,000. Okay. The Piano, number 50. And see, this is where I start having some real challenges with this year's additional list. Because you have The Piano at 
let's just call it 51. And you've got uh, News from Home by Chantal Ackerman. For several editions in a row now, there was a bemoaning of the editorial staff of the BFI, the Side and Sound, where, okay, the canon was staying essentially consistent, and you weren't seeing a whole bunch of, quote, diverse and new voices. So they kept expanding the participants. Because all of a sudden you're seeing a, um, a jump in this one specifically female-directed features. Agnes Varda has oh. two flicks in the top 100. Okay. Ackerman has two. Okay. I think that Campion's got the piano. Yeah. And there's and there's a couple others. And this is not to... Well, if I'm going to choose a Campion, I'd choose the piano. Uh, for sure. But yeah. is the piano a top 100 of all time? In my opinion, no. Okay. Not even close. But okay, whatever. You know, I mean, that's why these lists are inherently silly, right? This is an opinion piece. Right. I, I don't think that you're in trouble. I think it... Well, I, I think it's... The thing that makes me wonder if I'm going to be in trouble is that I think there's this virtue signaling associated with this, right? I mean, I just don't know if I necessarily buy it, right? If you take the top 100 greatest films of all time, as a function of the film industry as a whole, should 95% of them be directed by males? Morally, probably not. But realistically, probably yes. And that's not, like I said, again, not to Well, dismiss. males make the majority of the right. output, so therefore the males would, would... So it's not one of those things where these films, News from Home, The Piano, any mm. of them, are undeserving of their place in the canon. That's not what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's this huge jump. News from Home wasn't in the top 250. And that was where I started noticing that I had a problem with this list. It was the... Films, the, the four films, this is 4%, so I'm not going to sit here and jump up and down and say, this is illogical and doesn't make any sense and is therefore invalid because of 4% of the list is from the past less than 10 years in that we have these appearances out of nowhere of these new films. They're not bad. I don't know. Not seeing them. Couldn't say. Well, but this is where I started having the problem. It's like, okay, are we actually looking at what's the greatest films, or are we trying to push forward a an an inequality? Yeah, right. Are we valuing quote diversity and inclusiveness end of quote over over what is good? Right, and that doesn't mean that. I mean, hell, I've never seen news from home. I couldn't say it may be my favorite movie of all time. I'm not saying it's invalid. And, it's and we have those... we have been talking about. What is good? What is judged good? Right. Why is this good film better than uh, higher up or down the list on this you, good film? You have no and use we, for Godard. And we haven't been right. And we haven't been talking about gender at all. Hmm. Um, no, that's and a good point. Doesn't play into this. I mean, yeah. Well, obviously, what I'm saying is, is it does right? Because I find it an artificial injection. Mm. of a film based on the gender of the filmmaker. Yeah. Right? Again, I reserve the right to be wrong because I've not seen it. 
Yeah, I remember telling you like two or three months ago about how Criterion just dumped, I don't know, like 20, 30 films by Varda. Mm-hmm. And I'd saw four or five of them. Yeah, and I just, I was you loved like, them. Oh, my God, these are really good. I wouldn't put Amium on this list. No, I, I don't know. They may be yeah. well worth it. And if you have a thousand people, Varda stuff, maybe absolutely. Yeah, maybe you haven't seen one that deserves right. to be on the list. But yet. I, I look yeah. at it and say, okay, well, if we were going to say, what's a list of the top 100 Westerns? Or oh, that's easy. Top 20 yeah. Westerns. Easy. From the past 20 years. Oh. You know, if you said it 20 years ago, what would be on there? There'd be a list of blah. If yeah. you did it today, would Power of the Dog be on that list? Fuck no. No, no, but would it be on the list, even though a lot of people would say, eh. Because, well, it's like, well, well, I mean, I could I could see other people wanting Power of the Dog on this list. Right. On a list like that, yes. And that's where I start having the challenges yeah. with this list. It's like, is this authentic? Is this is News from Home going to be on the list in 2032? No clue. It may jump up tremendously. But I do have a certain degree of cynicism yeah. associated with this. Yeah. You know, it may be totally unjustified. Well, and I, is it one of those things where you're including new voices and therefore things that aren't normally in the canon are suddenly brought in? Yeah. And is that valid? Yeah, very well, it could be. Could well, be. I, I think because we are film fans, we are by nature cynics. Yeah, but these people are just as much a film fan as us, if not more so. Right. For sure. No, that okay. makes sense. So, independent of that, there's another one. Wanda. I know Wanda is recently very well regarded. It's like almost recently discovered. Right, 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 right. right. This is one of those, those films like um, um, like a Carr Theodore Dreyer type situation where mm-hmm. they found it in like a fucking closet in a right. saint asylum in Sweden or something like that. Yeah. And, and Wanda in the... 2012 list was on their 250. Yeah. It was 224. Oh. So it jumps from 224 to 48. 49? 49, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, the more people see it, I, I, it's just one of those where I don't know. And I'm not trying to say it's not worth being there. It's just one of those where. Well, and, and to keep things in perspective, Wanda's right next to. Barry Lyndon, Battle of Algiers, North by Northwest, Stalker. Your top ten. <laughs> but, I mean, it's one of those where it's... it's I love the Battle just, of Algiers. It's just one of those that I, I just notice. And Barry Lyndon is... I mean, aren't, isn't Criterion putting that out? They put it out. They yeah, put it, out. I mean, that, <laughs> fuck, it's like the last one I'll buy. Right. I can't stand Barry Lyndon. Yeah, is Wanda God. a better movie than Barry Lyndon? I don't know. It's very plausible. It is very plausible. And there's, it's got to be better than Barry Lyndon. It's, it's, it's absolutely possible. Fuck! Did you listen to the rewatchables on Barry Lyndon? Mm-hmm. It was a very strange selection. It's fucking bizarre. No, it wasn't the rewatchables. Wasn't? No, it was. Somebody uh, did an episode on it. It was. Um, was it the other one? Griffin the, and David. The yeah, big um, picture. No. The what? It was a uh, shit. There's another one you and blank I listened. Check. Huh? It's blank check. Blank check. Yeah, blank check. Did okay. It. That was fucking just weird. Just yeah. weird. There's a lot of people who love the Barry Lyndon. Apparently, who are these people? I, I don't know. I, they like the God. they like the natural lighting. Okay, but North by Northwest, Battle of Algiers. 
think I'd rather have another colonoscopy than sit through Barry Lennon again. <laughs> okay, we're not going to talk about Tarkovsky anymore. No. Um, I haven't seen Bicycle Thieves. No, but Bicycle Thieves, based on its reputation, makes sense to be there. Right? Yeah, Rushamon, like I personally, there's way better Kurosawa films. No, but it, it makes sense. But it makes sense that it's on here, yeah. A Buddha Souffle, we already did that last yeah, year. Not a fan. Uh, like it hot, we've already discussed. Yeah. Rear, Rear window, window. That's my personal favorite, Hitchcock. City Lights. Okay, M, strong. Yeah. Deserves to be here. Panther Pinchelli. I've not seen any of those. Eight and a half is good. I haven't seen Mir yet, but like judging on my history of Tarkovsky. I'd... You're not feeling very confident. Yeah. That'll be your gig. Portrait on a Lady on Fire. Like, I, I bought it on Criterion because I understand it's a very good movie. This one is and probably the most banana selection to me, period. I haven't seen it, but my son says it's really, really good. I'm sure it's... I, I actually, I'm sure it's excellent. But it was released three years ago, and it's the number 30 film of all time. It was Yeah, it was nominated. So, But here, here we get into it. Like, in front of it, Psycho. Behind it, Taxi Driver. Right. Like... Well, I mean, if you just look at this placing, a movie released in 2019 yeah. is the 30th best film of all time. Yeah, how can you? That's impossible. How that's, can you that, know? That's literally, how there's no fucking know? way. It might be in 20 years. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But not. Right now, it's better than Breathless? No. I mean, it's not more influential. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it is definitely not more influential. And that's one of those. There's things no that, way. Right, and that's one of those yeah. things that when I hear greatest films, I think of influence. Yeah. So therefore, it's impossible. Shoah. Glad to see Shoah's getting respect, but I mean, quite honestly, too high. Well, it's it's one of those things. I don't think any documentary should be on this list. Narrative only. Well. How do you compare a narrative and documentary? Which ones? It's, it's it's an impossible thing. It's like you don't rank books by fiction. You don't you don't mix fiction and nonfiction together in books. At least you shouldn't. It's it's very difficult to judge fiction and nonfiction. Different criteria altogether. Yeah, like um, my favorite novel of all time is probably. The Razor's Edge by W. Somerset Maugham. Have you seen the uh, film adaption? Uh, well, not the 40s one, but I've seen the 80s one. With Bill Murray? Yeah, I love it. I've never seen it, so I don't know. Yeah, I, just... I love it. It And Murray's like fish out of water, like mm -hmm. he doesn't belong. But by the end of the movie, he it makes sense. It makes some sense. Yeah, I think that was like his only drama. He, like, he didn't do another one for like 15 years or something. Like Boy, broken I'm flowers sure that, uh, lost in translation. Or I'm sure lost in translation is not his next one, but it sure feels like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Razor's Edge is deadly serious. It's a, yeah. and it is a drama, and he he does look like in the first hour he's like really uncomfortable for sure. But I I, I love it anyway. Anyway, um, <clears throat> what I was getting to was like there's this. Um, there's this famous book by William Mills Shearer, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Mm -hmm. and I've heard of it. Yeah, 1960. It's like and popular and stuff. It's very popular. I read it when I was a kid, and they just put it out again. Some whatever edition, and a, and a, a relative of mine found it and mm -hmm. bought it and gave it to me for Christmas. And just immediately, I just start reading because it's just so fucking good. 
and putting that on the same, you know, is that better or worse than the razor's edge? Like that's tremendously different. I don't, you know, again, different objectives. Yeah. Well, so, and even something more fun, like uh, another one that I really love is uh, youth and revolt by CD pain. I, that that's a phenomenal fiction book. And I, off the top of my head, probably better than rise and fall of the third Reich. But what, what right do we have to rank those? Right. That's why it's like, so the biggest problems I have with this list really are the most recent films and the handful of nonfiction or documentary is probably a better way to put it. I just don't think they jibe because that's like, I think between those two, you're looking at four from the, you probably got four from four nonfiction or four nonfictions or maybe three or nonfiction is the right way to put it, but Showa and yeah. Man with a Camera, and there's a few others. Like, so I would immediately eliminate those. Man with the movie to... cameras on here. Hmm? Okay. It's always on here. It's Vertov, isn't it? Yeah. So you got. He was amazing. So. And Night of the Hunter. That, 25. Yeah, yeah, I didn't particularly care for I'm that. still baffled by that. Yeah. Um, Do the right thing? Totally makes sense. I mean, I like to do the right thing, but like when it comes to Spike Lee, just, you know, Malcolm X is like the magnum opus of his yeah, career. Yeah, do the right thing is. It's, I'm not saying it's not good. I just, no, if, I, I think if I were about, to choose a Spike Lee movie to be on this list, it would just hands down. I think Malcolm do the right X. thing is probably a more important movie than Malcolm X. So in terms of cultural impact, like and we that's were the saying I'm before. the greatest, right? Yeah. Is, and I don't Jaws, Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. Do the right thing. I think Oop. it's more. Do the right I, thing was huge. So, I mean, yeah. and this one is one of those that jumped tremendously. Went from, what was it on the previous one? And across the spectrums, 46. too. Like, you know, you talk to Kevin Smith and, like, do the right thing to him was yeah, enormous. Well, and, and do the right thing. I remember seeing that in the theaters. And it's one of those where what I really liked about it is that it was a message movie that was multiple messages acting concurrently. Right. Such as? Well, who's right and who's wrong? I have no idea. Oh. Uh, there was compelling arguments for all parties involved. Right? Because one of the biggest conflicts is, you know, what artist should be on the wall in Sal's Pizza Hut? There's good arguments for both sides. Mm. I think Bugging Out's argument is nonsense. He has no ownership on the place. It's... Uh, Place of transactions. I give you five bucks, you give me a slice of pizza. I can put whoever I want on the wall. You have no right in that because this is our relationship. Right? But I understand Bugging Out's perspective as well, even though I don't agree with it. I get it. It's like, oh, you're in our neighborhood. You are making money on the population, and we deserve a piece of representation. I don't know if I agree with it, but I get it. So, I mean, it was one of those where it's like Mookie throwing the uh, trash can through the window. Was that justified? Did it make any sense? I'm still unclear on it personally, but it wasn't, it was a message movie for sure. Mm -hmm. But what was the message? You could read it any way you wanted. Whereas usually with quote message movies, they're banging you over the head. You must feel like this. And this movie was not like that. Yeah. I recently listened to this 
six or seven part episode of a podcast. I'm sorry, I can't remember. We listen to so many podcasts. Sure. I was trying to remember. But it was about Crown Heights, the riot in Crown Heights. Mm-hmm. And it just sounded like do the right thing. I think sure. it took I think it took place like four or five years before. Mm-hmm. And you just listen to it. You just really do understand what everybody was so on all sides was upset about. You know, it's just too bad that you couldn't come to a resolution. You see that and do the right thing. Like one of the most shocking things about that particular film, and I'm sorry to slow everything down, was at the end, like Mookie's hanging out with Sal Mm -hmm. on the steps, and Sal pays him. What's that? Sal pays him like. Yeah, they Money. never had a bad relationship. I mean, right. Sal and Mookie always had a very good relationship. And that's and this is why I think it deserves to be up here as opposed to Malcolm X, because how long of a conversation would we ever have about Malcolm X? I mean I don't I don't know. Like I not you, you and I probably, I don't know. Not the I, person. But yeah, the, the, movie. the movie. The movie. I, I, yeah, I I see your point. Because the issues that we're going through. Yeah. Yeah. And Malcolm X is an argument to be made that is Spike Lee's best movie is probably very valid. But like you were saying, what's going to make what's the most important one? Yeah. I don't know if it'd be that. Out of those two, do the right thing. Yeah. So I, I that's where I yeah. go. Okay, it makes some sense. And top twenty-five, yeah, it totally makes sense. Okay, but <laughs> definitely top hundred. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Playtime. I've not seen it. I need to see the Tati stuff. I've not seen any of them. Well, as we go up, there are more and more that we have not seen. I've seen I a think. decent amount of them. Well, uh, okay, no, that's Passion not accurate. Of Arc, I've seen Passion of General Arc. That 20. is actually shockingly good. Apocalypse Now, number 19, kind of low. I don't know. I think top 20 makes sense. Persona and Close Up have really I, I, etched I, up the past 20 years. I think seven. Well, Persona's interesting because it's the only Bergman. Yeah. Close up. I, I've not seen it, but I've heard it's excellent. <clears throat> okay. Meshes of the Afternoon. That one's weird. I don't know that movie at all. Um, I've seen it twice. Okay. I saw it uh, when I was in grad school 20 years ago. It was just like, I was thinking, you need to like eat mushroom, <laughs> drop LSD, or smoke some serious serious indica before you watch that and i just kind of like okay well it's a woman in the 40s there's not a lot of women in 40s directing shit like ida lapino mm-hmm. people like that and so that's why it's whatever so i watched it again oh, two three weeks ago i forgot to put it on my letterbox i was i was really blown away by it yeah i, I liked it quite a bit well that's why i was very hesitant about my previous criticism but you haven't seen it no no i'm talking about my previous criticism of my statement of some of these films getting vaulted up right right so right. it's one of those where i i've not seen some of those right. flicks so i can't say definitively i just find it interesting that all of a sudden went from not on the radar at all to top to right thought 30 so I, i've not seen this movie i've not seen it so i, mean, I, I it, don't have it, any it, opinion i mean i think it's i think it's high would you put it at number 16 of all time? No. Easily Would you put it no. top 100 of all time? You could see an argument for it? I could see an argument for it. I don't think you that I would. You wouldn't put it on it. yours, but. 
Okay. Yeah, two fifty maybe. Yeah, but would you? Yeah, two fifty. Yeah. That's one of those things where we are at a disadvantage. There's that they haven't released the two fifty. Uh, the piano is a better film. Okay. You know, um, the searchers. Yes. I mean, I think that's right where it needs to be. Too low. Too low. Too low. There's the other uh, one of the other three, two or three Vardas. Cleo from Pied. Haven't seen it. Yeah, you. Know, I. There's something I like about Varda. I don't know what it is. Well, she's it's, very much a humanist director from what I understand, and that her stuff is actually excellent. Very approachable. Yeah. Very approachable. Unlike Tarkovsky. Unlike Godard. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good counter, right? Yeah. Uh, Rules of the game. Yeah, I haven't seen that. It's always there, though. Obviously, The Godfather. But no Godfather too. Which, but you know, I mean, when we were growing up, and maybe this is just my perception, when we were growing up, like all of my friends, we were always greatest movies ever made: Godfather, Godfather Part Two, mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back, um, Star that Wars, very, that very narrow Apocalypse closure. Now. Yeah, it was always like those five ish. Take one out, replace it with something else. But. Sure, but it, I mean, a narrow, very narrow focus growing up. Very, very, very narrow focus growing up American male. Yeah. Very, very American white male in the 1980s and 90s. Okay, you're going to have a very narrow focus. Singing okay. in the Rain, top 10. Okay, so. There's the other to Lynch. Okay, we're going to get to Lynch in a minute. Okay, what were we going to say? Singing in the Rain, top 10. Have you seen I mean, Singing in the Rain? Yeah, I've seen it twice. And, I mean, I mean, I don't hate it, but I think it's. Too high. No, I think it's actually the the first ninety minutes of Babylon is like a thousand times better than Singing in the Rain. That I find exceptionally unlikely. Singing in the Rain is a perfect movie. Uh, I don't. Uh, okay. No, it is. We'll we'll see. Uh, Man with the movie camera. Excellent film. Uh, Vertov, whose name I can't even pronounce his first name he's one of three brothers who were doing this shit in early kinoscope right. russia and um i really i really like man with the movie camera and i mean one aspect is like you just see a lot of the soviet union that you just don't see before or after um, but you know, vertov's technical skills really kind of like shine through and i i remember watching it and I just remember thinking, I saw this clip before on the History Channel. I saw this clip before when ABC News was doing something. I saw this clip. It just seemed like everyone was scavenging it because it was filled with these moments that they thought were short and compelling. You know. Well, it was number eight on the 2012, so I have no doubt whatsoever it deserved the top 20. Yeah. And it might be, like, too high to me. But, but it, that's personal know, opinion type stuff. But I, I would, I would, I would keep it like in top twenty-five, top fifty. Makes sense. Yeah, make top seventy-five. Yeah, it's on this list. Mole Holland, fucking drive. Fuck yeah! Has no place. That's not one list. That, no, unless that's... it's going into a garbage can. No, that's inaccurate. I think that. Most people would disagree with that personal opinion. I know that. Is it, is it deserved to be in the top ten? I think the answer is probably no. 
But top 100 makes a lot of sense, which is why I would bump Blue Velvet for sure. For this. Yeah. Now, Mulholland Drive, you drop that in 45 to 75. It makes a lot of sense to me. Can you, sir, in under five minutes, explain to me the plot of Mulholland Drive? No, but that's that's part of the appeal, right? It's kind of a fever dream of imagery that is it it links together very well i I think it really does work i get your opinion you're not wrong right but i think that it it makes sense more than deserves to be number i don't know if it's number eight i don't know shocking money penny shocking so botrevale have you seen this I have not seen, no opinion, beyond, seen... again, that, well, in 2012, it was six, and now it's seven. <laughs> You're fighting with the microphone. <clears throat> That's okay. It's my lot in life. It's not a lot, but it's my life. There you go. So, I, I, I've not seen it. But you have seen 2001. Seen 2001. I don't know if I'd put it at number six in my personals, but I get it. I don't I don't want to over-worship Kubrick. I do appreciate his films. I love 2001. It is a perfect movie, if there is one. That's when he entered his OCD stage. Right. I do in the top 10, uh, you know, top 20, 25. Yeah. Top 10. But, but, you know, this and Barry Lyndon on the same list just makes me think that somebody is like ill. <laughs> I have not seen in the mood for love yet. No, it's number I, five. I either. I've seen it. I've got it forever. It's the same thing with the next one with Tokyo story. Need to watch it. Okay, well, I've got words on the Tokyo story because when you and I talked about doing this like a week ago, mm-hmm. I went on to Criterion and I I loaded the whole – every one on this list that is on Criterion, I put it on my watch list. Yeah, they get a lot. They got – Probably almost, 60 of them? Yeah, I think so. And so I sat down and watched Tokyo Story. And I fucking fell asleep. I'm not oh. kidding. Like, I was on the couch and nodded off. That's hard for me. I have sleep apnea. It's hard for me to nod off. So, not your bag. Woke up, watched the rest of the film. Couldn't fucking tell you what happened. Not because I was asleep, because it was the most uninteresting drama I've ever seen. Yeah. And why it is number four. You know, I guess I could watch the 40 minutes I was asleep for, mm-hmm. but if I don't think it'll make a difference, why would I bother? Yeah. Makes sense. No, I, I you know. It was also, I, I got to tell you this. It was, it was like two people in a house talking about tea, shot, reverse shot, then talking about traveling somewhere, shot, reverse shot. Very pleasant conversation. The entire movie is very pleasant. Like Pleasantville. 
pleasant. Okay. And this is how it goes, and this is where we're going. How's your tea? And in talking about the relatives, talking about everything else, and I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm not waiting for, like, a huge mass murder or anything, but no. if, if like something... something to occur? Yes. I was waiting for something to occur. And it never did. Credits rolled is what happened. You're like, oh, okay. So, so... Would I put that below Kane? Yeah. Would, would I put, put it, it above number four? No, I would not. I'd put it above another ninety-six flicks. <clears throat> so now you get to the top three. This, the top three, just. I'm going to try to hide my anger. Okay. I mean, remember, was it was it the AFI in in 2007 when they decided Vertigo was in front of Kane? No, that was a BFI in 2012. The BFI in 2012. Yeah. Okay. I mean, not the BFI, the participants in the poll. Well, yes, yes, that's that's true. But but at the okay, there are there are severe problems in Vertigo that don't make any sense. The plot does not make any sense. And if you if you listen to the commentary with uh Friedkin? Friedkin, which one of the best commentaries that I've ever heard. We previously mm-hmm. talked about this. Friedkin is very, very honest about in this scene, Jimmy Stewart doesn't ask or say or any like these very obvious questions that come to up to you know it doesn't serve the story so Hitchcock doesn't he just leaves it alone. It's there's very glaring loopholes in it and in Citizen Kane there aren't. So just as a as a Hitchcock film I I get that Vertigo is like visually stunning because yeah. his films are. He's a technical master. Um, but it's not, not like Wells isn't. Wells is, is a technical master. No, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's not like Wells is not. Uh, okay, yes. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big Kim Novak fan, but I, I don't really particularly even care about that whole right. debate. Some people get lost in it. You know, like, she's the worst Hitchcock blonde. Like, what are you talking about? Vertigo is so mm-hmm. well-renowned. I just, if you're going to choose a Hitchcock, I wouldn't choose Vertigo. I mean, I just think that Psycho is just so profound. And what, again, what it did in terms of impact. Right. From I, the, I think from it's the, way better than Vertigo. Well, it's. Is it a more important film? I can see the argument. Yes. Like I say, it almost established a genre. I prefer Rear Window over both of those. Okay. Um, Vertigo, I, I, I've seen. It's been a very, very, very long time. It's probably it's been at least twenty years. Okay. And Vertigo, to a large degree, I walked away saying, oh, probably like you did. It's like, okay, it was fine, but I, I know that it keeps ending up here, right? It, yeah. On the AFI, I know it was, it was definitely top five. Yeah. So I know that, broadly speaking, it's highly revered. And so I just need to watch it again. Well, and I don't and it know. It is if... one of those where, again, we're getting to the point where it's like, okay, so you have three thousand critics. They write down a hundred, or they write down ten films, and just they tally it up. And Vertigo ended up on one thousand. You know. Yeah. 
So it's not really a, okay, I'm ranking these movies. It's just... It's ranked choice voting. Right. So it is one of those where with any of these top ten, it's like, uh, okay. It's like Jean Dielman. I mean, a lot of people were very mad about this. Well, what what the fuck is this movie? I've never heard of this movie until... I've heard of it. I I have not. Who's the director? Chantel Ackerman. I mean, I don't think and I've seen I've not any... heard a whole lot of flattering thoughts about it. Primarily, it's three hours of her living her life. Well, it sounds is, like Tokyo Story. I, I, Based on what you were saying, yeah. That's what I understand it to be. It's like, okay, we have a single shot of her making a ham sandwich. And... People are taking it and saying, okay, this is a representation of blah, whatever blah is. So I have my doubts that a lot of people would have said that's the best movie ever. But I think that a lot of people put it on their top ten because, well, it's an important work by, you know, a female director, and therefore it must be recognized. And I'm not saying that's wrong. That's why I hesitated there. Well, for it could be long. important, but yeah. So you know, is it is it a good movie? Uh, that that's again cultural impact. Like, yeah, I, I have I been. Think that uh, Citizen Kane and Vertigo probably influenced a lot more films than John Dillman ever did. That's the point where I was going to. Yeah. I have I have been obsessed with films since I saw Ghostbusters in the theater in 1984. Mm-hmm. I have spent the majority of my life rewatching films. I went to grad school and I majored in cinema history. And I have, I watch like 30, 40 films a month. Most of the films I watch I've never seen before. I've seen more new films in the last five years than I did probably in the previous 20. I've never heard of this. I barely heard of Ackerman. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard of this film. And I, I didn't even see it on a Criterion channel. It's definitely there. And Well, it is now because you can see it now because it's it's in the... In the right, it's in the uh, The Sight and Sound 100, check these films out, and it's the first one up. Because it's the number one film. Because it's the number one film, yeah. But before then, I, I never saw it on a channel. No, but it, it was there. Well, because of the licensing, it's probably been there for months, but it's... Well, they haven't been promoting it. And if it is the no, greatest it's not been promoted. Yeah. If it is the greatest film, if it's the number one film You would think. That it would have had a bigger place in the public consciousness. You, yes. You'd think that if Criterion knew that it was the number one film that they'd be promoting it for the last two years that I've been a member of the Criterion channel. Right. And it hasn't been. And this is one of those where this is another red flag to me because it was in the it was in the twenty twelve poll. Okay. But it was 38. <laughs> so I jumped from 38 to 1. In 10 years? It's, it's... Vertigo was number 2 for like four decades. Right. And it just, and when it edged Citizen Kane, people got pissed. Right. You know, it's like when people were saying like the Ramones in the Rolling Stone poll, the Ramones were better than the Beatles. People were like, what? Well, the that's... Ramones were better than the Beatles, but that's, not, that's irrelevant. That's a separate argument. But... It's not inconceivable to put the Ramones in the top 50. Sure. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. Who the fuck is Ackerman? Like, I don't... 
you know, it's not that I haven't heard of Ackerman before, but I. No. And w- what astounds me, and I hate to belabor the point, but you know, what is not on this list? Die Hard, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, I don't think Die Hard deserves Jaws. This list. Jaws does. Jaws, in my opinion, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to bump six movies, five movies, ten movies, whatever it is, Jaws would be on there. Lawrence of Arabia would be on there. Um, Godfather 2 would be on there. I can't believe that. Because that dropped from Godfather 2 last last time. Oh, what was it? What was it? Was it I'm, That's very difficult to deal with. Yes. Godfather 2. Well, on the 2022 director's list, it's number 27. But on the critics' list, it's off the top 100. Doesn't mean it's not 101. Let's very quickly, let's go to the director's list. Yeah. We'll just do the... The, the director's list is a lot more conventional. So from <clears> a director's <throat> perspective, oh, 2001 is the number one film. Okay. Kane. Kane. Godfather. Godfather. There's Jean Dielman again. So, I, again, I'm not doubting that it deserves recognition. I, I'm sure it does. I've not seen it. Okay. And judging that there's something wrong here, number four, Tokyo Story. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Ozu is more important than Kurosawa? No. I I... I... I would imagine that most people would not say that. But they're ranking an Ozu movie that's boring right. as shit but, above but something at, like Yojimbo, which is exciting and right, but interesting to watch. A, I mean, did Ozu have – this is obviously not true. But did Ozu only have one great film and Kurosawa had ten and Kurosawa stuff just split the vote? No, but something like that is plausible. Oh, like they loved this one movie and they right. all voted for it, but Kurosawa had so many. Right. I mean, we had that if they have a hundred people went voting to seven and they'll twenty yeah. percent went to high and high and low, so therefore split the vote. No, I don't. I don't know if anybody would say Ozu is more important than Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. Fucking Fellini just shot up there like a. Mother. He seems to be very much a director's director. Of course, Tarkovsky. Yeah. Soviet distanciation. You know, Karostami's really been ga- – but that's been like a 30-year thing. Karostami just over time has just, just been climbing, and climbing, and climbing. And so it doesn't bother me. No, me either. I have no idea. Not seen it. Yeah, neither have I. Taxi Driver 12. Barry Lyndon, Barry Lyndon. Seven Samurai, Bochevaux, Breathless, Stalker, Apocalypse Now. Say, so here's a weird one. Woman Under the Influence. So there's no Cassavetes whatsoever in the critics, but he shows up at least once, I think multiple times in the director's side. Panther Patrol. I've heard of that movie. By Sanjit Ray? Yes. I've heard that's the one to watch. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that that's... That's here either. Twenty two, or tied for twenty two with multiple. Raging Bull, not yeah. in the top hundred. I think Raging Bull is absolutely 
deserving the top 100 on the critic side. Andre Rublev, isn't like the third Tarkovsky film on here? Uh, second so far in the top 30. Okay. Godfather 2, right there. Good films. Second Scorsese. Do the right thing. Man with a movie camera. I guess I need to see Ordet. Yeah, I've not seen it, but it's consistent. Lajit, which is kind of an inspiration for 12 Monkeys, sort of. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's still images. It's not, you know, I mean, whatever. But I, I wouldn't, kind of like Meshes in the Afternoon. Like, mm-hmm. it's influential. I, you know, I sure, because it's groundbreaking. It's not very entertaining. The cultural impact of Legette or the cultural impact of Meshes in the Afternoon, I don't. It's non-existent. Ne- negligible. At least from. A conscious perspective. Yeah. Versus Vertigo or Kane. So, Jen Dillman, where is that in the fucking popular conscious? You know. Playtime shows up again. Another Fellini. There's quite a few Fellinis on the uh, director's side. Well, he's always been well. Yeah, he's well regarded. Appreciated, well regarded. Like Godard. Come and see. That's that one does smack me as kind of a. That's a little high. It it seems yeah. to be some kind. But of... the Tarkovsky is really really high. Psycho. See the forty six like city lights. I I don't I don't know. It, this is so frustrating. <laughs> And and you don't want to you don't want to say stupid shit like I mean I read sometimes somewhere hmm. movie made America I think is the name of the book where it was like seventy or something percent of everyone who saw a movie between nineteen eighteen. In 1934 or something, like 70 something percent of everyone who purchased a movie ticket saw a Chaplin movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, and I mean, we can we can argue that Chaplin is or isn't art or is or isn't good. He made some good films and some bad films, just like everybody. Mm -hmm. But his again, like you were saying, like his cultural impact. Long term, it, it, we we still feel it today. Right. Yeah, you know. I mean, I of of the big three with uh, Keaton and Chaplin and uh, uh, Glasses. Harold Harold Lloyd. Yeah, Harold mm-hmm. Lloyd. I don't think Chaplin's my favorite of those three, but he's definitely the most important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a Buster Keaton type of guy. Um, I haven't experienced Lloyd at all. But, you know, I, I also read, um, did I, when I was doing the research on the general, mm-hmm. I read that, I mean, Buster Keaton was, the, the movie company that was cutting the checks for Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, they, they, he, he found, that their author found the revenue. Mm-hmm. And the revenue for Buster Keaton movies were was like 10% of what. Chaplin was doing. No, I'm sure that's not bad money. No, it's probably just fine. Right. 
but, uh, but it put speaking, in perspective of yeah. like how huge yeah. Chaplin was. Chaplin was definitely a populist filmmaker and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And, and again, we're, we're back to, we're back to the situation that we kind of hit on and touched on, which is the, the disconnect mm-hmm. uh, between what is a, objectively an entertaining film versus you know what the masses want to see, right? Versus a fucking French film from fifty years ago that's three and a half hours long that no one would buy a ticket for in a theater, even if they put it on the Grand Marquee in the middle of downtown Houston. But don't disparage it too much because you haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. It's true. I tend to agree from a broad perspective, but I'm going to table in like, okay, I'll see it one day. I don't think it's the number one of all time. I don't think it's number four. Then, the I, think, side. I think I have to see it so the next time we meet, I can trash it. You'll have to. But I don't want to. I don't want to go in thinking I'm going to watch this so right. I can trash this film. You know, I don't. I don't want to look at film that way. I like to walk in surprised. Sure. And, I mean, when and I turned on Tokyo Story, Tokyo Story's reputation is so high. I was expecting those, to like it. But that's also one of those things where you can't get too upset over these things. I mean, they're inherently subjective and silly, right? I I like that perspective. I want to I want to keep that perspective. I, I will tell you. My son and I went to Babylon Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. We walk up to the Cinemark. On the outside of the Cinemark, it looks like a Mayan temple. Vertical. And I'm sure that Cinemark wasn't thinking this way. But I love the idea that I'm going into my temple. Well, uh, they may really very well be thinking about it. I hope so. Well, because that's, I mean, I don't want to get metaphysical, but I know that we've been drinking all night. I mean, that's where I go to pray. Right. Metaphorically. Metaphorically. Yeah. That's, that's where I go to be excited. That's where I go to cry. That's where I go to, you know, but it is one of those things you have to, You have to acknowledge that there's no. Nobody's certain degree, There's this. no right. I mean, there's, there's definitely rights and wrongs. We know that. Sure. But, you know, so it's like the Oscars, right? That's the only award show that really matters. And we all know the Oscars are nonsense. <laughs> but it is one of those things. It's the Especially only the award show. It's the only awards that matter. Well, What's more important? The Best Picture winner from 1994 or the Palm Dior? From 1994 Oscars. That was Forrest Gump, wasn't it? Well, over Pulp in, Fiction. Independent of what it is, that's well, the more important one of the bunch. Well, you and I looked at the con winners, the Golden Lion and the mm-hmm. Palm Door, I think for like a 10 year period. Yeah. We, we were like fucking lost. We're like, what are these films? Like, yeah. we know it's a European audience is different, but there's a different objective. Yeah. But it is one of those things where, again, this is similar. It's like, this is the only list that really matters, but at the same time, it doesn't matter at all. So I can't get too upset about it. But it is interesting. And look what's there. Tied with 46. Once Upon a Time in the West. Strange Love. Singing in the Rain drops down to 53. 
So, yeah, so a lot of movies that we were saying, why isn't this here? They all of a sudden, they start popping up. Yep. Eraserhead, that's unexpected. (laughs) But Fanny and Alexander, right? You get a Bergman there in the mid-50s. Yeah. There's your meshes of the afternoon in the mid-60s. Blade High-60s. Jaws. That makes a lot of sense. Jaws. That... That's the first ray of hope I've seen in this. Mm-hmm. In Arabia. Yeah, number 62, Lawrence of Arabia. Searchers went from 15 to 72. Dookie Bookie. The Red Shoes. Modern Times, 72. Blue Velvet. Spirit of the Beehive, which... Always shows up. Wild strawberries, 72. Couple Bergmans. Yeah. Seven Seal. Chinatown. Chinatown. Okay. Yeah, so this one is a lot more conventional, and I can wrap my head around it a lot more. Another Kurosawa. The Conversation, 72. Mm -hmm. Solo, 72. No accounting for taste, apparently. Holy shit. Who the fuck voted that? Quite a few, apparently. You can click on it. They might actually tell you. Really? Hmm? I don't know if the uh, voters are released yet, but. Oh, isn't released yet. Find out who voted for the solo. It's not right there, that last sentence. Yeah, yeah. They do release it, though. That's a movie I've not seen, and I feel very strongly I'll probably never ever. No, see. I remember like I was, uh, you know, I was into the Italian neo-realist mm-hmm. movement there for a while. I saw four or five of them, and I thought, oh, these really get swept away and things things like that. And 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 I saw the Rossellini one on Louis the Fourteenth or whatever it was. I'm like, oh, okay, right. and I talked to you about. It. I'm going to get this solo. It's on mm-hmm. Criterion. They just cut it, and you were like, good luck with that, dude. I think he said something. I understand that it's not so much of a film as it is a bludgeoning. <laughs> and so I took it home and I watched it. And, uh, I mean, I put it on eBay the next day. Oh, really? Yeah. I got rid of it. It's but not in my collection. Out of my life. Yeah. I could not. Couldn't do it. Wanda? Yeah, there again. Potem- Potemkin is 93. I, I think that's low. Moonlight, Parasite. The Conformist. Hidden. I haven't seen that. No, have I? uh... Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is 93. I find that very strange that that's up there. And And Throne of Blood is dead last. Well, you know. Something has to be dead last. Well, if you look at this, and I calculate it up, I think there's 105 titles there that's a lot of titles right so but it is one of those things where eternal sunshine kind of surprised me relative to say pulp fiction or there will be blood or it's not a single tarantino movie no on either of these lists Uh and it's hard to i mean obviously we're in the uh 
the sweet spot of that age group, right? Yeah. But it is one of those where it's like, okay, Pulp Fiction specifically was significantly more influential than Eternal Sunshine of the Spotlight. Or a three-and-a-half-hour French film that nobody's seen? Except for probably Tarantino. I'm sure he saw it. I guarantee you he saw it. Yeah, him and Edgar Wright, they've seen it. I promise you, they've seen it. But it is one of those where those ones are surprising. No Spielberg on the critic side is surprising. Jaws, okay, it's on the director's side. Could you make an argument for three or four more of them? Yeah. I mean, because is Saving Private Ryan the most influential war movie of the past 25 years? Yes, it has been. For sure. Yeah. So I don't know. But it's interesting. And we shall see what it looks like in 2032. This list is crazy. It is definitely that. But it's designed for that, right? You're supposed to have a conversation. Well, it worked. Yeah. Where we had two hours now? Yeah. Two hours and 17 minutes. It worked. So, congratulations. So, we shall watch John Dillman and reconvene. Are you seriously going to watch the show? I'd watch it. Yeah. Okay. It's one of those that i got to figure out how and when. (laughs) It's like, hey, hon, I'm going to watch a movie. What are you going to watch? Hey, that's about a two and a half hour movie about a French woman making a sandwich. Well, we have to, we have to, we got to figure out how later. Never mind. Okay. All right, man. Well, do you have anything else to say about the Sight and Sound 100? No, at this point I'm tapped. <laughs> We've said enough. Well, thank you for coming on the Super 70 podcast and talking about film. Actually, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Take care. Out. Hey, loyal listeners. I just wanted to tag something on to the end of this just as an aside. We talk fast and loose on this program. I cite my works when I do commentaries, but most of the time the interpretations are up in the air and when Dave and I are drinking for five hours straight talking about Mad Max and the BFI, you can hardly expect us to be spot on our recollections and citations. So when we went over Shoah, I made a mistake. The survivor in question was Abraham Bamba, who was in Treblinka. He didn't see his family come into the chambers. He witnessed another barber cut the hair of his family before that family went into the gas chambers. I crossed this with another story of another survivor that was in emptying the bodies out of a gas van during the early days of the extermination experimentation in Poland. That survivor's name was Michael Pachibnik. Now, don't look for any corrections if Dave and I get the wrong ranking on the BFI or recall an actor's name wrong or mix movies up, but I thought I'd record this correction because we all know there's a bunch of evil and racist motherfuckers out there that will point anyone making an honest mistake and saying, well, see, he's lying. Thus, the Holocaust did not exist. You know, I've seen those people. I've met those people. I know how they operate, and this is how it starts. So no one's going to be using my podcast to spread their fascist agenda. So I wanted to be clear about this specific topic, and out of the respect for the victims of the show, I felt a responsibility to correct myself. Thank you.
never begun by asking the big questions because I was always afraid that I would come up with small answers, and I have preferred, therefore, to address these things which are minutiae or detail in order that I might then be able to put together in a gestalt a picture which, uh, if not an explanation, is at least a description, a more full description of what transpired. And in that sense, I look also upon the bureaucratic destruction process, for this is what it was, as a series of minute steps taken in logical order and relying above all as much as possible on experience, past experience. And this goes not only, incidentally, for the administrative steps that were taken, but also the psychological arguments, even uh, the propaganda. Uh, amazingly little was newly invented until, of course, the moment came when one had to go beyond that which had already been established by precedent and one had to gas these people or, in some sense, annihilate them on a large scale. Then these bureaucrats became inventors. But like all, all inventors of institutions, they did not copyright or patent their achievements and they prefer obscurity. What did they get from the past, the Nazi? They got the actual content of measures which they took, for example, the barring of Jews from office, the prohibition of intermarriages, the employment in Jewish homes of female persons under the age of 45, the various marking decrees, especially the Jewish star, the compulsory ghetto, the avoidance of any will executed by a Jew that might work in such a way as to prevent inheritance of his property by someone who was a Christian. Many such measures had been worked out over the course of more than a thousand years by authorities of the church and by secular governments that followed in those footsteps. And the experience gathered over that time became a reservoir that could be used and which indeed was used to an amazing extent. You mean that what one can compare? One can actually compare... One can compare a rather large number of German laws and decrees with their counterparts in the past and find complete parallels, even in detail, as if they were a memory which uh, automatically extended to the period of 1933 and 1935 and 1939 and beyond. In such respects, they didn't invent anything. They invented very little. And they did not invent the, uh, the portrait of the Jew, which also was taken over lock, stock, and barrel from writings going back to the 16th century. So even the propaganda, the realm of the imagination and invention, even there they were remarkably in the footsteps of those who preceded them from Martin Luther to the 19th century. And here again they were not inventive. They had to become inventive with a final solution. That was their great invention, and that is what made this entire process different from all others that had preceded 
that event. And in this respect, what transpired when the final solution was adopted, or to be more precise, when the bureaucracy moved into it, was a turning point in history. Even here, I would suggest a logical progression, one which came to fruition in what might be called closure. Because from the earliest days, from the 4th century, 5th century, 6th century, the missionaries of Christianity had said in effect to the Jews, you may not live among us as Jews. The secular rulers who followed them from the late Middle Ages had then decided you may not live among us. And the Nazis finally decreed you may not live. This means that the three steps were the first one was conversion. Conversion the followed one by ghettoization, expulsion, expulsion, expulsion. And the third was the territorial solution, which was, of course, the solution carried out within the territories under German command, excluding immigration, death. Final solution. And the final solution, you see, is really final because people who are converted can yet be in secret Jews. People who are expelled can yet return. But people who are dead will not reappear.